greatest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hulk Hogan, you've got nowhere left to go. You've got nowhere left to run. And pal, you've got nowhere left to hide. Hulkamania dies tonight. <laughs> nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, Mr. Wonderful. I like that idea, man. The supreme court of professional wrestling. The cage, man. Let it be the judge. And if a mere mortal man like Hulk Hogan goes down, let it be. But Hulkamania, Mr. Wonderful, will live forever. Roddy Piper, do you remember when you did this to Adrian Adonis? Tonight I'm back, and it's payback time for adorable Adrian. Happy New Year, Roddy. George the Animal Steel, just what tonight do you have in store for the World Wrestling Federation's Intercontinental Champion, Randy Macho Man Sack? Surprise! Surprise? Surprise! I am the king of wrestling! And the junkyard dog, just like every other man, will learn to bow to me in servitude. Hollerys, you want the dog to bow down to you? The dog don't bow down to no man. The only man is the good Lord above. Hey now, welcome to episode 8 of the 24-inch podcast, coming to you live from Buffalo, New York. My name is Steve Bennett, and with me as always from Sopranos Town, USA, out in Kearney, New Jersey, my main man, Dave Rollins. What's up, Dave? How you doing today? How you doing, Mr. Steve? And I just want to give you a small introduction as I'm here, Hollywood Dave is here, with the Terminator of Podcasting. Mr. Steve Bennett. <laughs> yes, uh, the great Jeff Perlman. Uh, give some background there. Jeff Perlman, uh, who's written several New York Times bestsellers like The Bad Guys One and uh, Sweetness, which is my favorite about Walter Payton. Good man. And uh, USFL. He's got a book on that. But anyway, he interviewed me for a series called The Quaz, and he said that I was a terminator of podcast hosts because I keep Badger and people to be on the shows, but hey, when you're nobody, that's how you get somebody to be on your show. You got to keep coming and coming and coming. That's the, uh, that's basically the key to my success. I think in that interview, he asked me, "Well, how do you get people to come on?" And I, the, the you got to ask them, and then you got to ask them again and again. But, um, no guests yet on this one. It's just Dave and I, and we got a good one today. Uh, we're going to talk about two shows. And one feud, and it's Hogan versus Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. And Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, the two matches were good. So it's really, they did three big ones. They did one 
in Toronto in front of 70,000 called the Big Event. We're not going to do that one today. We'll save that for another time down the road when we want to revisit Mr. Wonderful and Hulk. We can go there. Today, we're going to focus on the two matches they did on Serenade's main event. The first one aired in October of 86. Uh, we'll read the news from that month. And then the second aired in January of 87. And it is my all-time favorite cage match. And when I filled out my list of the greatest WWF matches uh, for the Place to Be Nation, which ultimately I didn't send in because of a technical glitch on New Year's Eve and I had to go eat and it just I just said, ah, fuck it. Um, but I made the list and it was my highest rated Hogan match at number six. Um, so, and then uh, Andre... Um, and Hogan, oh, was actually higher. It was my fi- my highest rated, not Andre Hogan match, I guess, to clarify that. Obviously, number two on my list was Hogan and Andre from the Silver Dome, behind only Simone Savage from the Silver Dome. But um, those are the two matches we're going to do. We'll look at both of those cards, run them down the way we do. Uh, we'll give you a background on Paul Orndorff. We'll give you a background on Steel Cages. Um, also, we got tons of emails today. We'll do that. Dave is going to tell us what Hulk was doing in between the two shows. I'm excited for this one, man. This is a really interesting stuff. Some interesting stuff here. Yeah, like I said, we're going to read the news. Uh, so we're packed up. But before we get to that, a couple of things I want to go over real quickly. So the Sportscasters has a listener named Ian Ross. Okay, a longtime listener of the Sportscasters. A good, good friend of, of the program. Good friend of mine. A nice man. Um, a guy I think of a lot and a guy I root for. Uh, he's uh, he's my guy. And um, he wrote me an email uh, recently saying he was catching up on podcasts. And uh, he was going through the 24-inch podcast. And he said, you know, there's some stuff in there that's not for me. So I said, okay, that's interesting. Let's see what he means there. We can get some feedback here. Because I'm the kind of guy who likes feedback. I want to make this podcast better if I can. You know, how, how can uh, how can the 24-inch podcast be the best uh, podcast there is out there? And I think one way is to listen to other people and, uh, and kind of react as best you can to what they think. And he said, all right, well, here's the thing. And I'm going to read some of it uh, if, I can find, if I can find it real quick. You know, these this emails you can only find um, when you don't need them. Can you vamp for me for a second while I pull this email up? Sure. Um, yeah, Ian, uh, anything he ever wants to, you know, ask us, even in, rega- in, in disregard to anything to make the podcast better, you know, you can shoot us an email, you know, and you can be part of this show. Okay. So you know, this, anytime. This is what All he right. said. Okay. So I said, you know, what, what do you, what isn't for you? And he says... And I quote, the parts of the 24-inch that I tune out are any talk about current WWE of any kind. So, for example, I started the War to Settle the Score episode when I began my run the other day. Look, I'm an old former athlete, so it takes me 40 minutes to run three miles. So I'm out there a bit. Anyway, I can the, that. Anyway, the episode started with a long talk about the WWE Network going to Peacock. Current WWE, the latest Royal Rumble. 
he he said maybe I got that wrong, but you know, one of the ones I listened to recently, you had that. I'll keep listening, but I'll just say that I was there for the Hogan War to settle the score talk. The new segment's great, so he likes that. I think you're doing good on the mid-80s ones, being the news guy, considering you were too young to remember a lot from 84, 85, 86. But you are right to see how well it ties in with the culture and storyline of the show. So then he questions himself. Is it Hogan? Hell no. That's the whole podcast. Two guys, no. Two guys pro Hogan and not hiding that, and you make interesting points. Just goes back to my thought of a kayfabe-ish podcast and the thought that a Jesse Ventura type in these pro-Hogan parts, just to stir it up a bit, could provide a different dynamic. I'm not trying to book your show. It's uh, coming along good. He's just sharing his thoughts. Okay, so let me respond to those things real quick. Let's start with the current WWE talk. Now, I am as lapsed of a lapsed fan as you can get. And when we talk about something current on this show, it's usually because it has a connection to being lapsed. So for a perfect example, he mentioned we talked about the network moving. The network is a huge component of being a lapsed fan. Uh, Having that available allows me to spend time watching wrestling, uh, but watching something I prefer from the 80s or the 90s rather than something new that's on USA or Fox or whatever. So to me, that, Dave, I don't know if you agree, but that's a lapsed topic to me. That's not new WWE per se. That It's part sure. of it, the story for sure. But I didn't and really think there we were talking about anything. Yeah, well, I think anybody that's uh, a listener to our show, listens uh, to all our shows every week, is probably has the WWE network or close to getting it because you are a really an 80s wrestling fan you're, you're not going to listen to this podcast if you just ah yeah i remember that shit and that's no, where you're, the content is you know exactly. that's where that 80s content so that's a small point whatever so then but his main i think the interesting part and the reason i brought it up is this idea of not having a jesse right and i know what he means by that he means if you watched the hogan era you always had gorilla or vince or whomever on the pro hogan side and then they made sure to have Jesse, who hated Hogan, and every time he won a big match, said, oh, I'm going to have to come out of retirement, wrestling myself. You know, you had Bobby in there. Always someone, some kind of foil, some kind of balance. Now, Dave, I'm going to let you get in on this too. A couple of things I want to say about that. Number one is, I think our podcast in general is the foil to most of the other podcasts out there which are very anti-Hogan. You know, many of the podcasts in the lapsed fan genre have created a new anti-Hogan narrative that they proudly, proudly wear on their sleeves. And I think part of the reason we created this podcast was to push back on that. That's the first thing. Yes, sir. Number two is, you know what? Maybe we do need a Jesse, but it's not going to be a host. This is for Ian... Or anyone else listening out there. Be our Jesse. We welcome you. At 24 Inch Podcast on Twitter. 24 Inch Podcast at gmail.com. Anything you write. Any point you want to make. We'll read it. You can be our Jesse. And we will gladly debate with you. And you don't have to be on time. You can be 13 episodes back. You want to talk. We'll talk about it in the email section. Bring it on. 
This is an ongoing narrative as far as we we are concerned. So, do we need a Jesse? Maybe. Are we going to add a Jesse? No. But we're welcome to you being the Jesse. So, and that's not just Ian. It's anyone out there who can hear my voice. Be our Jesse. Go ahead. What do you think, Dave? Yeah. When I well, when I first read the email, uh, I kind of misread it and I took it as he does. He think this is a kayfabe show? Like we need a good guy. And a bad guy, you know, like, I'm like, well, no, this is, we're, we're talking about our history with enjoying professional wrestling and what we got out of it. But then I got it. Oh, he, he thinks the two guys, so pro Hogan is, you know, he wants someone to be a little pushing back on it, like you said. However, uh, Ian, I agree with what Steve said. We'll answer any of your questions. Or if you want to say, hey, Hogan did this, what, what do you guys, what's your take on that? Something bad, something like that. But, we're the alternative, man. Any independent podcast out there is either anti-Hogan or in the middle. There's nobody independent podcast. I know Pritchard and Eric Bischoff and all, and all support the Hulkster. And, and then those fans on independent podcasts will say that Pritchard and Bischoff are wrong, even though they were there, you know, with, uh, with, with sure. Hogan at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I still love all those other independent podcasts. They have a right to their opinion, but, when I got talking with Steve, you know, we've been friends for a few years. I'm fine. Like, we, you know, we kind of want to set the record straight of how it happened, how people were reacting to Hogan in the 80s and part of the 90s. The narrative has completely switched. Uh, Macho Man is just as pop. No, not even love the Macho Man, but it's not even close. I'm just trying to, if you listen to some of my stories, I'm not just saying, hey, this is what I like. I'm talking about people surrounding me, people at school, people at the playground, you know, everywhere. And then later into the 90s, people on the football team. It, I'm just saying this is how it happened, not just following some narrative from, you know, years later, because Hogan's not a great technical wrestler because he played politics, et cetera, et cetera. But so, no, I don't think me and Steve are going to go down that road to have someone acting as, uh, quote, unquote, a heel or anti-Hogan and on this the show. Whole, this whole, it doesn't work for me, brother. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard Conrad say, to whatever host. Uh, Did Hogan say it doesn't work for me, brother? And they're like, no. Yeah, I mean, it's narratives. You know what I mean? If, if, if it gets people to listen to podcasts and they like to hear it, it's funny, whatever. It's one thing. But, you know, we just want to be uh, a little different. The, 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 the Hogan was, you know, the, not, the opposite of the alternative. It's kind of like 80s metal became in the 90s. In late 90s, we became, we, I like 80s metal, 80s metal became the alternative because everybody else likes something else. So that's kind of like what, what we're trying to do here. And uh, But, but uh, Ian, that was an awesome, awesome enough email that we're spending all this time talking about. It. Thank you so much for that. It's going to make uh, us better. And that's what yeah. we, we don't, we're open to that. We want to get better. We're only on episode eight. You know, I, I want to think that between now and episode 50 this or more, this is just going to keep getting better and better that we're on an uphill, you know, an uphill climb right now from where we're going to be when we're at our best. I don't think we're anywhere near there yet. And I love the idea of the listeners helping us get there by giving us yeah, feedback. We have, uh, we have a lot us. more emails uh, for, for this show. It was uh, a lot. We're going to save some time for the end of the show. We got more than ever. And it's just onwards and upwards, bigger, better, better. So I just wanted to mention that. Uh, the only other thing I think I want to mention, because we do got a lot uh, to get into today, but I did want to mention the Hall of Fame, uh, because again, I think that's a, a lapsed fan topic. 
You know, even Absolute, though without a doubt, that's right. who's watching. Yeah. So the WWF did announce finally uh, that the 2020 class and uh, the 2021 class uh, will finally have their day in the sun, so to speak. Uh, the uh, let's see, it's an upcoming event. Uh, I know I saw that they have a date. March 10th, uh, 2021 was the last announcement of a guest. And they're going to fu- have uh, in- inductees. And the classes are full now. And then April 6th is when they're going to uh, do the event. And I believe it'll be on Peacock, correct? Correct. It will be on Peacock. And they, it's going to be the whole 2020 class. So let's go over the classes. Is- okay. All right. I'll name the uh, inductee. I want you to do three things. First thing, are they an A, B, or C level member of the Hall of Fame? So relative to the Hall of Fame, where where are they? Then I want you to tell me if they're in the top third, middle third, or bottom third of your personal list as a wrestling fan. And then I want to tell I want you to tell me if you think uh, how excited you are uh, for their particular moment in the show itself. You got all that? I'm excited for this. I live for this kind of shit. Let's all do it. All right. Let's start off with Dave Batista. Two-time okay. two time champion, four-time and longest reigning heavyweight champion, uh, three-time world tag team champion, one-time tag team champion, winner of the 05 and 14 Rumbles, and a star in multiple Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Uh, he has been recognized by WWE as a pop culture phenomenon. Go ahead, Dave. Okay, yeah, I think this uh, he's a, he's an A, definitely an A, not an A plus, but an A. Okay, but um, it's a little early, but they've kind of thrown that out the window. Like I remember Edge going in in was it 2010 or something sure. when he first got hurt. Yep. it was like, dude, this is ridiculous. Like so early. Like I would think Edge going in now would be a little better, but they've thrown it out the window, so I won't bring up the early aspect of it anymore in this. But Batista's an A as a human being, not my type, not my style. But uh, as a wrestler, yeah, he, he you know, in, in a different era than what we're used to with the pay-per-view every 12 months and, you know, just doing it the more modern style. He's an A-lister. He's right up there and, and a, 100% a Hall of Famer. And um, as in as my personal opinion, I'll give him a mid, mid-third. Okay. Because some of my personal beliefs in, on him as a person. Okay. And then how excited are you? We'll give this one 1 to 10. For their particular moment in the overall ceremony. Um, you know, like when Hulk went in, for example, that'd be a 10. I'm being excited to see that. You know, maybe when, um, who's the girl who threw the, the title in the garbage? She'd be a 1 for me. Medusa. Yeah, I don't like her. I don't like that. She'd be a 1 for me. We turned it off. Okay, okay so that's what I'm looking for on that third part then. Where's Batista for you in terms of just your overall excitement? for the presentation of it on the program itself. Two. Okay, fair enough. Let's go on. John Bradshaw Layfield, JBL, one-time WWE champion, one-time Intercontinental, one-time U.S. champion, three-time tag champion, one-time European, 18-time hardcore, 2013 Slammy Award winner for favorite web show of the year, uh, 20th Triple Crown Champion and 10th Grand Slam Champion. Isn't it amazing how nobody remembers any of that? 
<laughs> probably except, except right. for the world him being the world champion. Yeah, I'm surprised it was with, only one time. Yeah, he had great matches with Eddie Guerrero for sure. Uh, uh so yeah, I'll give him uh for a Hall of Famer. Yeah, a B plus. I mean, he he definitely does. Maybe even an A. You know what I mean? For for the guy like the number one guy. The headliner of the Hall of Fame, no, but just for a guy. I think he's more in, in the middle. I think he's more in yeah. the middle. Yeah, but he's still an A. He, you know, he does. There's going to be a lot of A's going out here. You know, sure. he deserves it. That's well, Hall of Fame. And uh, then, um, on my opinion on him, how was I doing that again? One more time. I'm giving name? him uh, my opinion. My personal opinion was yeah, middle top third, middle third, or low third. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, then I'll give him a middle third. And uh, on a scale of one to ten, excited for him. Yeah, he's you know, you know I'm going to give it a six because you never know what's going to come out of the mouth of uh, good, JBL. Good speaker. You know what? I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do mine too. I was going to not give mine, but I might as well give mine. There's only two of us. Uh, for Batista, I agree. I think he's a top third level Hall of Famer. You know, he's in the upper echelon, maybe the bottom of the top third, middle of the top third. I think that. In terms of uh, me as a wrestling fan, he's in my bottom third. I no interest in him. Never can't think of one match of his that I've really seen. I guess uh, he was in WrestleMania 30, right, in the triple threat? Daniel yeah, Bryan. with uh, Brian and Orton. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then in terms of being excited for him and the show, a one. I don't find him interesting <laughs> at all. Uh, John uh, Bradshaw Layfield, JBL. I, went, I told you that I went to a uh, Conrad Thompson live show. Uh, cool. with uh, Bruce Pritchard and JBL was there for whatever. Why well, was in Rochester? I don't know. Maybe they, f- but he was really funny and really interesting. So I'd say to see him in the show, I'll give him a seven. Cause I think he's a really good character. He's in the middle third for me in terms of how excited I am w- about him. And uh, like my personal list. And I would say in terms of the hall of fame, he's in the middle third as well. Sure. All right. The British bulldog, Davy boy uh-huh. Smith. Um, a one-time Intercontinental Champion, uh, inaugural, and two-time WWF European Champion, two-time Hardcore Champion, and a two-time World Tag Team Champion. Uh, the Bulldog. What do you got there, there we go. It's an A plus plus plus. I mean, he should have went in in two thousand five, two thousand six. You know, with all his buddies. Uh, I don't know why it took so long. There's a lot, you know, a lot of politics involved. I probably do know why. I'm just not thinking of it right off the top of my head. And uh, I just wish, you know, Dynamite would be going in with him. Sure. Uh, so that's kind of, kind of really hurts the chances of Dynamite going in at all. Yep. Maybe that leg, that legacy wing, that SD Jones and Lord yeah, Alfred Hayes. That's where he'll have to go. Yeah, I'm yep. hoping Hercules goes in there. I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping for a lot of guys. So maybe Dynamite will wind up there. Playboy Brody Rose got in there. Um. So there's that. So that's an A plus for me. It's biased because he's you know one of the top guys from my era. So I'm gonna miss biasy there. But I think most people would probably give him a, a high grade. Um, happy. I know uh, Harry Smith a little bit. You know, I've hung out with him here and there at some shows. So I guess he'll be going up there. Him and Georgia and accept, yeah, accepting Georgia. Yeah. Maybe Diana um, Hart. Yeah, excited to see that. So that'll be a uh, the upper third for me. It's just, this is all up and how excited I am. I mean, it would be a 10 if, if Davey were alive, you know, but I'll give it a solid 8. Now, where was he in terms of your wrestling list? Top third, middle third, bottom third? Oh, top third. Okay. Yeah, for yeah. me, the British Bulldog is top third greatest WWF tag team list on place to be. They were my number two. 
uh, of all time tag team behind only the Hart Foundation. And then Demolition, I had third. I had the, the big three, as I feel, the big three tag teams from my era. One, two, three, Hearts, Bulldogs, and um, Demolition. Uh, I would put him in terms of where he is in the Hall of Fame. He's probably a middle third um, guy overall to the whole Hall of Fame. And then to the uh, my excitement for him being on the show, look at First, I want to give a shout-out to Georgia Smith, who's really the reason this happened. Uh, all the hard work that she's put into reviving uh, the British Bulldog and social media. He's got almost 70,000 followers on Instagram now. Uh, the British Bulldog, she's really busted her ass, and she made sure uh, that her father was on the tip of their tongues, and she's a big reason that he's there, and it's going to be a big moment for her, for the family, but it's going to be sad. He's not there to do it. Um, so it's more like a five for me um, in terms of the show itself. All right, let's move on to the next one. Justin Thunder Liger, 11-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion and a one-time WCW Light Heavyweight Champion, considered by WWE to be one of the most revolutionary competitors in sports entertainment. Who considers that? I don't know. What does that mean, considered by WWE? Whatever. Where you you can tell me how I said his name wrong, and then you can go ahead. <laughs> you, you, did you hear me about to speak, or you just knew that? I heard you about when to you speak, said, and I mean, okay. I just, I just, <laughs> great. You know, yeah, so Ju- yeah, Jushin Thunderliger, <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, he uh, to to people that are fans of the of the Japanese style, the Meltzer types, and he is a wrestling legend. There's no doubt about it. To me. Uh, letter grade, um, it's a C. You know, I mean, he was in the first Nitro match. All right, let's against, get you uh, back on track for the format. Let me help you through this. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, top third, middle third, or bottom third in terms of his place in the Hall of Fame in general. Oh, okay, yeah. So I was doing three things instead instead of two. Well, um, there I'll are put him in the things. middle. I'll put him in the middle third. Okay, so now the second thing is where is he in your personal list of wrestlers? Top third, middle third, or bottom third? Oh, okay. Uh, bottom third. Okay, and then... Even though he... Yeah, the, I got the rest. Yeah, okay. And um, before I get to uh, the rank, uh, he was in the first match of that first ever Nitro against Brian Pillman. I know him well from you know from watching WCW. You know, I've enjoyed some of his matches. Did I ever really care if he won or lost? No. So, um, you know, that's going to make him a one for me for uh caring about his uh, induction but he you know he is deserving of it okay he's in the bottom third of the hall of fame in general um he may be deserving but barely uh he is on my bottom third in terms of the list and it's a negative one in terms of how excited i am (laughs) i didn't know we're doing negatives okay uh on to the new world order uh one of the most famous stables and World Championship Wrestling during the Monday Night Wars. The primary catalyst behind WCW Nitro's success and consecutive victories. Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash each held the championship. Hogan's the longest reigning while part of the stable. While Scott Hall was a two-time WCW United States Heavyweight Champion. Hall and Nash are also known as the Outsiders and they held the WCW Tag Team Champion six times. Sean Waltman, then known as Six, was a one-time WCW Cruiserweight Champion and also a co-champion during the Outsiders WCW World Tag Team Championship reigns 
under the free world rule. So basically, you got four guys going in here. Hogan, who will now be a three-time, or no, two-time uh, inductee. Two-time. two-time inductee. Kevin Nash, two-time. Scott Hall, two-time. And Sean Waltman, two-time. Um, Crazy. Waltman is, DX was his other. Uh, Scott Hall was, as Razor Ramon, an individual. And Nash also as an individual. Uh, Hogan, individual, right? Um, yep. Okay, this is an interesting one. First off, this is a big thing in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Do they have the right guys going in to represent the group? Uh, no. It's the definitely the upper, upper, upper third. And um, if you want to include Waltman with Bischoff in there too, I'm okay with it. But if it's going to be a fourth guy... If it's not just going to be Hall, Hall, Nash, and Hogan, if it's going to be a fourth guy, it's got to be Eric Bischoff. I don't get that. Agreed. I know he's doing some stuff. I know he's doing some stuff. For, well, he's doing some stuff with AEW now. Yeah, politics. Yeah, but he wasn't doing the stuff with AEW when this got announced. Remember, this was supposed to be last year. True. So that that excuse is is, is not part of it. So I don't get it. Yeah, politics. But uh, I guess if you're going to have a fourth guy that's not Bischoff, I guess Waltman, maybe even the Giant. Uh, would would be that now the giant is no longer eligible because AEW as well, but uh, yeah, upper 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 third. My personal opinion, upper 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 third. Okay. And ten plus 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 for for me to see these guys out there. Any chance I could get to see the boys, you know, I'm ready. Hulkster, should- Hulkster should be three times, but not yet. Maybe the Mega Powers will go in someday. Sure. They but, if, uh, if Macho was alive, they'd be in. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to get Liz in too. Yeah, the this should have been three guys. Uh, Sean Waldman's in there because he's buddies with Triple H. Uh, this should have just yeah. been the three guys. And if you're gonna expand it beyond that, it's crazy that Bischoff isn't a part of it. Uh, top, top, top third for sure in terms of where they are in the uh, and like you said, a high up in that top third. Uh, bottom third for me in terms of my personal list. I just didn't watch WCW. Hmm. And then. Um, in terms of excitement, oh god, yeah, uh, nine and a half. I want to see Hulk. I want to see. Uh, I want to see Hulk. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, two more quickly. We got our stuff to do. Okay, the Bella Twins. Just you gotta okay. be kidding me. The two. This is their. I guess their resume. 2013 Diva of the Year Slammy Award winners won jointly. Um, and then just opinions. Okay, uh, bottom third, obviously. Uh, okay, and in my personal opinion, uh, I'll still give him bottom third, but I kind of understand that, you know, their show is popular. People that don't watch wrestling know them from that show. I believe it's the, uh, what's Total it called again? Total, Total Divas. Yeah, a lot of females I know. To put them in the celebrity wing. Put them in the celebrity wing. Well, man. yeah, but a lot of people know them from that, but I'm still going bottom. And then I'll make this quick for me to see them. I'll give it a five because I like to see them to look at them. <laughs> All right, <laughs> the, these two are not Hall of Famers. Okay, they're below the bottom third. They do, they don't belong in the Hall of Fame. That's ridiculous. Uh, they're not Hall of Fame workers. They're not Hall of Fame popular. They're not Hall of Fame anything. It's ridiculous. Uh, bottom third for me in terms of my personal list, and I will not be watching their part of the show. So zero. I'll skip right over it. 
Time right. to go get some gabagool during that. Yeah, there's only one person announced, Molly Holly, I mentioned earlier, so far for 2021. So we'll skip her for now. We'll do this again when the whole class yeah, we is got, there. We got time. Yeah, when the whole class Big is one. announced, we'll go through 2021. Real quick, though. Real, real, real quick. Any any uh, ideas of who you think might be yeah. maybe one of the other ones? No, I don't know. I'm not. No? I'm not plugged in, so I don't know. Where is this? The show's in Tampa. So I don't know. that. Does that mean anyone makes sense? I don't know. Would they put Undertaker in? No, not with all these other guys. I think that, this is my opinion, that's going to be maybe only three more people and maybe nobody of too high, you know, to, to take the steam away from Batista and the NWO. So I think they're just adding in a few more. It could be wrong. It could be 100% wrong. But definitely not Taker. He's going to have to have his own... Uh, his own deal, you know, with maybe a, only a couple of guys underneath him. Sure. Yeah. All right. With that said, it's time to get to the show. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to talk about Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Who was this guy? Talk about the history of the steel cage match. Uh, David and I are going to speculate a little bit. Why wasn't Mr. Wonderful uh, part of WrestleMania 3? And Dave's going to let us know what Hulk was doing in between uh, the two shows today. So let us take a break. And uh, we will be right back. Thank you for listening to the 24-Inch Podcast. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, The Sportscasters, 10 Years in the Making. You can find it on Twitter, at sports underscore caster. Or download episodes wherever you found this podcast. You can find the 24-inch podcast on Twitter as well. We're at the number two, the number four, the word inch podcast at 24-inch podcast. Email us at 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget about our friend Peter Winson and greeting from Allentown. It's at GF Allentown Pod. We are back, 24-inch podcast, episode eight, getting closer and closer to first uh, landmark, the 10th episode. We're going to tell you what that's going to be later on in the show. All right, here's what we got to do today. We got business, right? We're going to look at the October 4th, 1986, and the January 3rd, 1987, Saturday Night's main events, and they're interesting because they're both headlined by Hulk Hogan. Versus Paul Orndorff matches. So, who is Paul Orndorff? He's Paul Orndorff Jr., born October 29th, 1949. And he's from uh, Brandon, Florida. Uh, he currently resides in Fayetteville, Georgia. Uh, he's a graduate of the University of Tampa. He's a football player there. Uh, and he's been married to Rhonda Maxwell since 1971. Uh, six foot. Tall, 252 pounds, trained by Bob Backlund, Jack Briscoe, Eddie Graham, and Hiro Masuda. Uh, he debuted in 1976 and retired in 2000. Uh, he was a running back at the University of Tampa. He scored 21 career touchdown and gained 2,000 all-purpose yards in his career there. He was a 12th round selection. The 289th overall pick in the 1973 NFL Draft by the... Oh, uh, I should know this. By the... Uh, not the Bucks. No. 
I'm thinking because of Tampa. I'm thinking I, uh, Dave. L.A. Dave, you hurt me today. You hurt me. Drafted the 12th round, 289th overall by the New Orleans Saints, Dave. I got it. I said it before you did. But he failed to pass the physical for the NFL with both the Saints and the Chiefs. However, he did play for the Jacksonville Sharks of the World Football League in 75. But after one season in the WFL, which I've never heard of, uh, he began training as a wrestler. So he started wrestling in 76, mid-Southern wrestling. He feuded with Jerry Lawler there. He won his first wrestling title when he pinned Lawler for the NWA Southern Heavyweight Championship on June 7th, 1977. Um. He then started a feud with Ernie Ladd. Big uh, cat. Yeah, the feud with Ladd saw Orndorff win the NWA Tri-State North American Heavyweight title from Ladd on two occasions. Um, but his reigns were short and ended both times by Ladd. Those are some matches I would like to see. Yeah. I never saw. He continued to make a name for himself in the NWA where he feuded with the mass superstar. He became known as the Brandon Bull. Uh, which was the nickname he had as a football player, obviously being from Brandon, uh, Florida, and being a bull. On <laughs> of December, I'll, t- I'll take it. He teamed with Jimmy Snuka to capture the NWA World Tag Titles from Baron Von Raschke and Greg the Hammer Valentine. What a badass team there! Huh? Yeah, Snuka they and held on to the titles for five months before losing them to uh, Van Raschke and his new partner Paul Jones. On oh, April 28th of 1978. All right. Territory time, which means he's going to go to territories, right? 79, he traveled to Alabama's territory. Uh, Southeast Championship Wrestling. He worked, Bama-lama. He worked mainly as a tag team guy there, teaming with Dick Slater uh, to win the NWA Southeast Tag Team Championship from the team of Jimmy Golden in Norville, Austin. Some of these titles crack me up. You know what I mean? Like yeah, oh, my God. How specific yeah. they are and, and that, yeah. too. Uh, their reign only was a month. They lost to uh, Dennis Condry and David Schultz, who we talked about last time. Yes, yeah, that guy. Yep. Orndorff then teamed with former opon- opponent Norval Austin. Not former porn star. He was calling himself the Junkyard Dog at the time. Not to be mistaken, of course, with the more famous Junkyard Dog. Uh, and they Ooh. won the titles in 79. Uh, but then they lost the belts. And uh, Austin, Conjury, and Randy Rhodes would go on to form the Midnight Express shortly after. Uh, 1980, he split his time between the Alabama and Mid-South territories. Um, let's see what else. In Mid-South, he did some really cool shit there. Um, he feuded with Ken Mantel or Mantel's, um, propensity for cutting other people's hair after a match. He got the better of him and won the right to use the Freebird hair removal cream on Mantel. Uh, That's funny. If he lost, he would have been the WWF champion because in the cage match, Jesse goes, if Orndorff was bald, he'd be the world champion. That's right. (laughs) Orndorff earned a shot at the North American champion, the grappler. But on the day of the match, he overslept like Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. I get into that. And was incensed when his replacement, Jake the Snake Roberts, beat the grappler for the title. Do you think he had the AMPM mixed up or was it yeah, a separate we're go- knob? 
also could be something with you know we're putting the clocks ahead here, right. you know, on the, uh, this weekend coming oh, up. Oh, I hate that. Could have been one. Could have been one of one of those deals. Orndorff's you know? reaction to Jake's title win signaled a change in attitude. That's right. He turned heel. Something he's famous for. Turning cool. heel. Uh, as he uh, demanded a match against Jake the Snake. He lost the support of the fans, but he won the North American title on July 4th, 1981. Uh, he feuded with Ted DiBiase, Junkyard Dog, Dusty Rhodes, and Dick Murdoch, while holding on to that title, eventually losing it to Ted DiBiase on November 1st of 81. Uh, he was unable to wrestle in the rematch due to car trouble, which meant that Ornhorst's friend Bob Rock. <laughs> it's a lot of these. These are all kayfabe, the overslept car trouble. Yes. Great. I love it. But it's like, I, but it's like real life. They should yeah. still, they should still use it this, do this way, this way instead of like getting jumped or something. I love Not that. I love that we now have another famous person who overslept. We had John Paul, John Paul overslept the Olympics, and now we have, uh, now we have Orndorff. That's great. Well, let me tell you something. Thank God, Hollywood Dave and and the Terminator Steve Bennett do these shows in the evening at night because we'd have a lot of oversleeping going on here too. So we're not going to say which guy. Yeah, neither of us. Neither of us are morning. Are morning <laughs> no, people okay. at all. Both. There'd just be no show. Uh, in October of '82, or excuse me, early '82, Orndorff reappeared in Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, and he launched a few with Buzz Sawyer over the. NWA National Heavyweight Championship. Not to confu- be confused with the, you know, heavyweight championship. This is the national. National. And he won that on the 20th of October, 82. Uh, during the summer, he vacated the title so he could focus on pursuing the Nature Boy for the world Woo! champion. So he got rid of the national heavyweight to go after the world champion. Uh, but, of course, he was unsuccessful and then focused back on the title. He gave up. Uh, it was put on the line in a tournament that was won by the Super Destroyer. On August of 82, Orndorff regained the title from the Super Destroyer. That's Sergeant Slaughter, that Super Destroyer? Um, I Could be. I don't know for sure. He was one of them. But... I can let you know. Scott yeah. K. Irwin. Okay, not Sergeant Slaughter. I think Sergeant Slaughter was Super Destroyer too. Yes, this was Scott Irwin was the, the Super Destroyer. The Wild Bill Irwin's uh, partner. Frustrated with uh, his inability to beat Orndorff for the national title, Larry Zabisco paid Killer Tim Brooks 25 k to do his dirty work. And Brooks beat Orndorff with the help of a chair and won the title, only to turn around and give it to Zabisco. The fact that Zabisco bought the title. New world odor. And did not win it forced the president, Bob Geigel to step in and strip Zabisco of this title. I wonder if we'll see that storyline play out in a different promotion for a different title, maybe, uh-huh. say, in 1988. Uh, Orndorff then went to New Japan, uh, worked in Japan for a while, and then finally, in 1983, he signed with the World Wrestling Federation, late 83, and made his debut in November of that year. Starting in January 84, Orndorff took on Roddy Piper as his manager, Piper nicknamed Orndorff Mr. Wonderful, a nickname that he's used ever since. Uh, Orndorff made his WWF debut against Salvatore Belomo, a big pizza guy there. And on the night that Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik for the heavyweight title and Hulkamania was born uh, in Madison Square Garden, that was the night as well that, you know, Orndorff showed up. And we talked about that in our archives on that show about how 
so much of their future was started on that night. Uh, so check that episode out. I believe episode two. That's uh, the Iron Sheik episode. Yeah, in our archives. Um, Warnorf became one of the first people to challenge for the world title, shooting straight to the main event in less than a month after his debut. Uh, Hogan disposed of the challenger and moved on while Orndorff fought a variety of opponents, including Tito Santana. Now, he would go on to be a part, obviously, of the rock and wrestling feud. He'd be in the main event of WrestleMania 1, and he is the guy who's pinned in WrestleMania 1. So, of course, he gets blamed for the loss on Saturday Night's main event number 1. And that is where he turns face. Um, and kind of sides with Hogan, becomes best buddies uh, with Hogan. Orndorff and Hogan start teaming up, the feud with Piper and Orton, um, and they're just the best of buddies. Uh, they really are. Heenan placed a $25,000 bounty on Orndorff, payable to anyone who can injure him. Uh, but no one succeeded, so Heenan upped the bounty to fifty k. Um, But, yeah, this is kind of where we're at. He's good friends with Hogan. Um, and then, unfortunately, uh, Adrian Adonis is going to get in his head. The adorable one. Yeah, and we'll talk about uh, that more. We'll kind of cut it there. So that is Paul Orndorff and his march from football player to professional wrestler in the main event. On... I just want to throw, throw something yeah. in real quick. Go ahead. Um, Orndorff, I think, should be and would be remembered by, you know, like average people out in the street, kind of like as the Savages and the Pipers and even like the Million Dollar Man. He's not even Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's not quite the name there. He should be and would have been, but he disappeared, you know, in late 87, early 88. And a lot of people presume that he had passed away, actually. That was written in, in, in publications, I believe even in some newspapers. It was crazy. Everywhere you went, oh, Mr. Wonderful died. And uh, then, you know, he popped up, you know, four or five years later in WCW, and I believe Herb Abrams, UWF as well. But uh, him missing that important time from 1988 to 1991-ish in WWF, I think hurt his legacy, not with us diehard wrestling fans, but with, you know, people will think of a million-dollar man before Mr. Wonderful. You agree? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, quickly, I wanted to talk about the history of the steel cage because, of course, the second match is in the, Col- is... the Coliseum video. Yes, I want to talk it's about that, that DVD. Oh. I want to talk about. <laughs> uh, no, the um, the second match is in Big Blue, uh, which that steel cage is often referred to. And as a child, I had the ring with the Big Blue attachment, and had many oh, yeah. many of uh, steel cage matches of my own, but. Uh, this is credited to the 1930s um, in Georgia. They had a six-foot-high cage structure made of chicken wire, um, and that's kind of the uh, the beginning of it. And then it evolved from there, obviously, to um, in the 80s where Jimmy Snuka kind of really took it to another level, jumping off the top of it in the garden. Uh, really kind of took the match to a different level. Uh, but a- along the years, there was many big big matches in steel cages. Uh, Bruno would often uh, wrestle his arch nemesis in steel cage. Arvin, Ivan Koloff in 75. Um, also, you have uh, Magnum TA's historic victory over Tully Blanchard in a steel cage. I quit match in 85. 
Um, and it's also evolved into many different kinds of steel cage matches, Dave, right? We got Hell in a Cell. We got the Elimination okay. Chamber. We got the, uh, the Triple Cage Doomsday. Doomsday Cage, cage. my favorite, brother. Uh, you got the uh, Punjabi Prison, just similar. War Games, a creation games of Dust, Dusty Roads. Uh, the Lions Den. Um, did they have yep, more than yep. the one in 88, 98 SummerSlam? Were there any others of those? Ah, yeah, Owen and Ken Shamrock. I believe we talked about that. Oh, Mr. McMahon. Uh, did Mr. McMahon beat him in one on Raw? I, I don't remember. Okay. You got me there, man. Maybe, maybe not. That's uh, something I'm, I'm thinking. Write but, that down. That could be. Well, that's Attitude Era and me don't go too well together. <laughs> too much boozing. Yeah. Too much partying. Yeah, for me at that time. I yeah. had my own attitude. Um, I had my own attitude error going on. But uh, that's just real quick. I want to talk about the evolution of the cage. started as a six-foot piece of chicken wire around the ring to keep everyone in. And, and that is the point, right? The idea is that you keep the wrestlers in. And everyone else out. That's why I don't like pinfalls in them. The, a lot of people hate our way, the New York way, going over the top. It's to escape. Yeah, you know what I mean. The not, New York not, way is the well, way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess still keep people in the pin, but I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I guess you're just used to what you saw first. Yeah, that, that's what we saw first. And that's care. what I saw, and that's what I like. All right, exactly. I've hogged the mic. It's time for Dave to shine. Dave, where was Hulk Hogan in between these two? Saturday night's main events. Give me a, not every match, but give me a taste of where oh, he we was got a big... from October to January. Get your taste buds ready. Well, our show um, took place at the Richfield Coliseum, our first show, the October 3rd, 1986, Saturday night's main event. Uh, that was taped back in September, September 13th. It was actually supposed to air the last week in September, but it was held off, I guess, something to do with Saturday Night Live for a week. So uh, the night before it aired, October 3rd, 1986. Nassau Coliseum, a sellout, 15,000. Hulk Hogan over Mr. Wonderful Paul Undorf by disqualification. Same night, October 3rd, 1986. Chicago, the Rosemont Horizon, 16,000 sellout. Hogan over Orndorff via countout. You're probably, list you're probably listening and saying, hey, wait a minute. How could even if one was a, uh, if this is a Friday, so even if one was a matinee, you can't do a matinee on a Friday anyway, but let's just say you could. One was a matinee. You can't do another show in Chicago. No, these were both night shows. Hogan, Orndorff, and Bobby Heenan went on third in Long Island, finished up, kept their gear on, hopped on a private plane, the three of them, flew to Chicago to the Rosemont to go on last with a whole different card. And Savage and Steamboat had to work like a half-hour match waiting for Hogan and Orndorff to get there. Now, if that's not saying how hot this feud was at this time i don't know what is now remember when people say oh you know they're hogan orndorff sold out everywhere what's the big deal you know Monday Night raw and nitro was sold out and everything no no but they when those shows are sold out they're not coming back there in four or six months in that time these guys are running these buildings every month so a sellout means something now they did this now, I don't believe they ever did a fly-in like that. That's crazy again, besides this one this one shot here from Nassau to Rosemont. I'm just going to tell you, a couple other places this feud went and sold out, my man. And uh, then most markets I'm going to uh, mention here, they also did a return match and did very well, and maybe even a third in a cage. I'll be here all night, so I'm just going to say the city. St. Paul, Syracuse for TV taping, Buffalo, New York, Pittsburgh, Landover, Maryland, Philly, Houston. 
Detroit, Glens Falls, New York, Providence, Winnipeg, and uh, many, many others as well. So, But now I'm just going to get into some of the different stuff that wasn't just Hogan-Orndorff matches in our time period. Uh, okay. Um, in Rochester, New York, at a TV team being on October 7th, Hulk Hogan and none other than Rowdy Roddy Piper go over Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Cowboy Bob Orton. Little side note, at these tapings was when Hulkster wore that weird belt, not the regular 1986 belt uh, that he wore against you know Andre in 87 as well. This belt had a picture of Hulk in the middle in a circle. So all you belt nerds out there, this is when he, he wore that belt. Uh, then uh, jumping a few weeks, October 23rd in Milwaukee. Listen to this match. Hulk Hogan and the Crusher over Stud and Bundy in front of 10,000. The Crusher, a big uh, Milwaukee wrestler with the AWA. He had to be up in his 50s at this time. So this is a very, very special match for the Milwaukee area. I remember seeing recently on YouTube a uh, promo with Hogan and the Crusher for this. Okay, uh, jumping into November, November 14th in San Diego in front of 10,000. Hogan and Piper still teaming up over Orton and Morocco. A uh, little Hulk, uh, Piper bringing Hulkster into his feud there. Uh, November 15th, Los Angeles Sports Arena at 16,000. It's a Saturday night's main event in between our two that we're doing. Hulkster over Hercules, Hernandez. Uh, I wonder if they wanted to do three uh, Orndorff matches and Dick Ebersole maybe said overkill. Because it's kind of weird how they have the Hercules match. Uh, in between I Orndorff. That. I wonder yeah. that, too. So, and Hercul- Hulk haven't been working with Hercules yet, so maybe Ebersol said, have a different heating guy for this one, for you know, so we don't get a burnout. Just something to think about. November 24th, big show for me, Madison Square Garden, 19,700, Hogan and Piper over race and Orndorff. That could be found on the MSG Network. Uh, we did, a, that was the same night as the Kamala Steel match we went over. Uh, still here in my backyard in the Meadowlands, December 8th. Strange match, Hogan over the Macho Man, Randy Savage, in a non-title. Uh, neither title was on the line. And the Honky Tonk Man, freshly turned heel, jumped in and uh, got Savage disqualified. That led to Hogan Steamboat against Savage and Honky the next month in the Meadowlands. And then finally, our show. It was uh, didn't air until January 3rd of 1987, Saturday night's main event. But it was taped December 14th in Hartford at the Hartford Civic Center in front of 10,000 fans. Hogan over Orndorff in a steel cage. Put that in your back pocket because we'll be getting a deep dive into that. And then, unbelievably, the WWF went on Christmas vacation. They did not have another show until December 25th. Crazy. Aside from this very rare Philadelphia Spectrum, December 20th, after the 76ers and the Pistons game on the court, they set up a ring. Don Morocco against George the Animal Steel and the Mighty Hercules against Coco Beware. I would love to hear from any listeners know more about this. Maybe we're there. Sounds very That's cool. a wild yeah. thing. Yeah, those guys must have got a big payday for coming on their big uh, vacation, coming flying into Philly. And uh, that's where we are on the road. I hope you guys enjoyed it. All right. With that said, we're going to take a break. And uh, we're going to come back. We're going to read the news My October of 86. We're going to do Saturday Night's Main Event, October 4th, 86, January 3rd, 87. And, of course, we're going to go detail on both matches. Hogan versus Orndorff gives star ratings for both. Uh, That's the plan. So let's take a break. We'll be right back to read the news.
episode eight of the 24-inch podcast. Steve Bennett, Dave Rollins. We are back. It's time for my favorite segment of the show, the the C segment. That's where we do the do the cards, do the matches, and where we read the news. All right, Dave, theoretically, the uh, sound effect just played. Hopefully, I didn't forget mm-hmm. it this week. I was actually quiet for it this week. <laughs> and, it only uh, took me eight shows. And uh, it's time to read the news. Uh, October 1st, uh, President Carter's Presidential Library and Museum was dedicated in Atlanta. Dave, have you ever been to a presidential library? I've been to just about all of them, I think. Um, you know, I was invited to an autograph signing at Obama's, but uh, you know, I passed on that one. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Uh, October a book signing. I meant to say a book signing. October 2nd, New York Mets' Dwight Gooden becomes the first pitcher to collect 200 strikeouts in each of his first three seasons when he records seven in an 8-2 win versus the Pirates. And we'll have more on the Mets. Yeah, man. The Mets, for, for party sure. team of the mid-80s, right? Rock and roll all the, the way. The heels. They're heels. They're definitely heels. And they don't give a shit either. All right. Uh, Errol Strawberry. Another record in baseball, New York. Let's do a Yankees record since we did a Mets one. Oh, yes. New York Yankees closer Dave Rigetti saves both doubleheader games at Fenway Park for a record 46th save. Uh, that record does not stand still. That's been broken a few times by now. Uh, Ra- October 4th, Rachel Oliver of Massachusetts, 20 years old, crowned Miss Black America. Hmm. Also, October 5th, Rams running back Eric Dickerson. Runs for an NFL overtime record 42-yard touchdown as L.A. defeats Tampa Bay 26-20 to at Anaheim Stadium. Sure, that's been broken many a times over. October 6th, a Russian nuclear sub, K-291, sinks. Very sad day. Flags at half-mass. Uh, it sinks in the, God bless. In the Atlantic Ocean. Don't, don't mean to joke. God bless. Uh, the first edition of the new British newspaper, Independent, is published. And Lord Alfred Hayes writes a column on the World Wrestling Federation. Weekly. Still to this day. October 7th. Steve, From the grave. Steve Iserman is named captain of the... What team was he named captain of? Do we even say what sport it was? <laughs> uh, he's an NHL legend. Okay. Yeah. And he would, he would be the captain of this team for over 1,300 games. Okay, 1,300 games. How many years is that? I'm, 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 I mean, just, I'm just trying to hold 82, this off. Like... 82 games a year. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Oh, geez. Um, out of guess. How, how about this? How about P- Pittsburgh Penguins? No. Detroit no. Red Wings. Oh, well. Of course, the uh, captain. Driving of the, there on the way. The captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins in this time was obviously the great Mario Lemieux. Yes, and I do know who Mario Lemieux is. I just didn't questionable, know. Questionable. I, I know who he is. I don't know anything. I know he's a hockey player. I, Hollywood Dave does a lot of things. I don't lie. I know he's a hockey player, but that's all I know. October 8th, Run DMC calls for a day of peace among L.A. street gangs. Possibly a day of peace with Gorilla Monsoon after he says uh, in 1989 that they left a lot to be desired. October 9th, Phantom of the Opera premieres in London, written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, I went on a field trip in the eighth grade to Toronto to see 
Phantom of the Opera. And I believe it's the only musical I've ever seen. This is the pre-Sebastian Bach Phantom of the Opera. uh, Oh, this is when I was like in eighth grade. Yeah, in eighth grade. So Sebastian was still uh, just about getting out of Skid Row at that time. How was that? Good October 9th, an event of interest, and it was a huge interest to uh, to a just-turned-six-year-old Steve. I can tell you that much. Gilbert Perot becomes the 12th NHLer to score 500 goals, and I remember it like yesterday. I remember he was stuck on 499 for a while. I remember it was the talk of the city. Every time the Sabres games were on and he came on the ice, everyone held their breath. Uh, he was past... The puck was passed him by a Sabre named Mike Foligno, who would jump after he scored goals, and he jumped for Gilbert when he scored this one into his arms, his 500th goal. A big moment for a young Steve. Oh, was I excited. This was my dad's, yeah. this was my dad's guy, you know, because he, he's towards the end of his career. Here's, you know, joined the team, uh, their first draft pick when they became a team in the 70s. And um, so – was I a Gilbert? Like, is he in my top five Sabres of all time? No. Uh, but I'm glad that I got to enjoy t- sort of the tail end of his career and follow this moment, which I remember exactly where I was in my grandmother's house in my uncle's room uh, watching Gilbert score his uh, score his 500th goal. Oct- Nothing like those memories, man. October 9th. Live forever. A big one. The Late Show with Joan Rivers premieres on Fox. She's the first woman to host a U.S. late night talk show, and that was... The executive producer of the show was Edgar, her husband. Yeah, uh, she used to fill in for Johnny Carson a lot. Right. Uh, she would have Piper on, Hogan on. I remember Hogan, I, when John Rivers passed away, I uh, my Instagram, you know, sal- you know, condolences to her was Hulk had her, like, holding her and stuff. I remember them being pretty cool as a kid. Uh, but uh, something, how, how did it, the show got canceled? There was some drama there, right, with her and her husband? Or, well, yeah, her husband, know, ended, her husband ended up committing suicide. Back then. Yeah. After wow, the show was canceled, but um, I remember and that Chevy, and Chevy Chase didn't commit suicide after his show was canceled. Thank God. Right, or Magic Johnson, or many of the other canceled, or or, or the great late late great Alan Thick, sick of the night. Yeah, not all easy, are canceled. Not easy to get a show like this off the ground, but no, this man. caused a lot of friction between her and Johnny Carson. You know, I don't know Johnny Carson. I guess expected her to just wait forever for him to retire, which wasn't well into the nineties. Who's your favorite out of all the uh, late, late nighters? Oh, Letterman. Letterman. Okay, yeah. I, I would go back and forth. I mean, in hindsight, it's Johnny Carson, but I was a little young then. You know, I yeah. did see him, but watching the reruns now, he's definitely the best. Sure, but uh, yeah, I'll go with Letterman for for my era. I mean, Jay Leno. That's something. My that's comedy. My mom watches. That's not for me. Yeah, I don't dislike him, but uh, October eleventh, a very big one. Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev open talks. At a summit in Iceland. So that's good. Okay, getting yeah. closer and closer to the end of the Cold War here. Yeah, closer and closer, well, to Corporal Kirshner and Nikolai Volkov in the summit match on Saturday night's main event. October 12th, the California Angels are within one pitch of a pennant victory, but they lose to the Red Sox. Dave Henderson hit a huge home run there, and, of course, the Red Sox will go on to face uh, the Mets in the World Series, but the Angels were one sh- Strike one pitch away. Uh, from... Seems like this this '86 season for me. I know, like, like very memorable. Oh yeah, especially for me to know about it. Historic for sure. Uh, October twelfth, Elizabeth II of the United Kingdom and Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, visit the People's Republic of China. Of course, they're in the news a lot this week, 
and were in the news as well in October of 86. October 13th, the 20th Country Music Association Awards, and the big winner that night, Reba McIntyre. Tito Santana's sister. Arriba. Arriba McIntyre. Yeah. October, Great lady. October 13th, uh, the 25th New York National League appearance in the World Series. Um, the Mets, of course, are the National League representative. Uh, and we mentioned the Red Sox are the American League. And it's going to be a World Series that takes a while to play because of rainouts. Uh, a lot of days off uh, because of rainouts, I think, in between games six and seven. Um, especially there was a gap. We'll talk more about it here as we go. October 14th, the Nobel Peace Prize is awarded to Auschwitz survivor Ellie Weasel for his Weisel, Weisel, Weasel, I don't know, W-I-E-S-E-L, uh, for his efforts mm. to ensure the Holocaust was remembered. Good on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, October 15th, the longest postseason game. Um, the Mets beat the Astros 7-6 and 16 and win the NL pennant. Uh, that's four games to two. Uh, they beat the Astros, and it was four games to three uh, that the Red Sox beat the Angels. Uh, October 16th, Raggedy Ann opens at Niederlander Theater in New York City for five performances. You got to read two or three of these. Raggedy a Ann. Month Raggedy Ann had her own play. I would. Raggedy Ann had her own play. I would think the only. Uh, Ragdoll that I would want in a New York City play would be from the Jersey Boys. Ragdoll, right? Oh, Aerosmith. Well, I mean, Aerosmith, yeah, but they didn't have a play. Uh, October 16th, the U.S. government shuts down due to disputes between President Reagan and the House of Representatives. Uh, also on October 16th, the U.S. performs a nuclear test at a Nevada test site. Mm-hmm. October 17th, the U.S. Senate approved immigration bill prohibiting the hiring of illegal aliens and offered amnesty to illegals who entered prior to 1982. Mm, let's keep our mouth shut there, right? Yep. Oh, no. Sadly, on October 19th, Raggedy Ann closes. Oh. The theater. <laughs> See, they, they, they must have got hit out by them, by the by the, the Jersey boys. You it's, know what I mean? They, sent, Joe, they spent, sent their old friend Joe Pesci to explode the Raggedy Ann doll. October nineteenth, the USSR. What was, her, what was her boyfriend's name? Raggedy Ann and Andy. Andy, yeah, Andy. Andy. okay. Yeah. The USSR expels five U.S. Dis- diplomats, kicked them right out of the country. There. Um, October twenty-first, first class cricket debut of Andy Flower, ZCU president. timer. Yeah, one of my favorite cricket, cricket guys. I mean, I just love imagine it. I just I spew out all information on cricket. <laughs> Doesn't know Mario Lemieux. <laughs> that, he knows that cricket. Would be, that, that would be the end of the podcast. We just <laughs> end it there. It's over. You know. <laughs> October twenty first, IBM reforms in South Africa. It's Mr. Rabato. Yep. October twenty first, the Republic of Marshall Islands signs compact of free association with the United States. Um, October twenty third, Keith. Hearing commissioned to paint a mural on the Berlin Wall by Checkpoint Charlie Museum, three hundred meters long. Beautiful. I used to have a big, beautiful, a big painting. argument with uh, my friend. We were like nine years old. You know the Ninja Turtles. This person asked a question. Yeah, later Anthony Pagano, if you're listening, heroes in a half shell, the Ninja Turtles. But he would think it was murals in a half shell. No, because they were named because they were named after painters. I could choke him out right now. 
Yeah, no, he's wrong. Well, he was like, you know, we were nine yeah, years old. But he, he, knows, he knows He knows. now. Yeah. But, yeah. Someone should have cracked that kid. Oh, I took care of him. October 25th, Michael Sergio parachutes into Shea Stadium during Game 6 of the World Series. And, of course, Parrot, la- that's later that night, wild. Dave, trailing 5-3 to three, with two out and no one on in the bottom of the 10th, the Mets rally to win Game 6 of the World Series, 6-5. to five. Highlighted, of course, by Bill Buckner misplaying a ball. Gets past Buckner behind the bag. Now, in hindsight, one of the most famous baseball games of all time. In hindsight, not for someone like you, for someone like me, and maybe even someone that's a little more into sports than me. It seems like that that was the the game seven that that play. That's you know not not the game before it. In hindsight, like because that's so much remembered. You think that that was it? The World Series were won. But they needed to win that game anyway, so just just as important. Yep, and that was played, and how about, uh, played the 25th, but not until the 27th because the 26th there was a rain out. Yeah. Uh, the Mets beat the Boston Red Sox and won the World, the 83rd World Series. It's their second World Series. They also had one in 1969, but it's their last time they've won the World Series. Uh, they have appeared two other times. Uh, they appeared 2015. in 2000 and 2015. Uh, yes, 2000 was the Subway Series. And once against the Royals. Hey, I'm trying to get my the sports I know out here. I'm trying yep. to spew it out for you. Now. <laughs> but a, a legendary World Series. Uh, one of the most memorable ones with one of the most memorable games. Um, certainly huge for Red Sox fans who, of course, were in the midst of the Curse of the Bambino. Um, they Great hadn't Bambino. won a World Series in a long time and wouldn't win one until 2004 uh, when they eventually did uh, win the World Series. But, yes, it gets past Buckner, an amazing moment in, in sports, a really, really, really big, big thing. And do you remember Pete Rose on, uh, I guess it was WrestleMania 14, said he left tickets. Yes, he was, was in Bo- he, was in Bo- he was in Boston. <laughs> he left tickets for Bill Buckner, but he couldn't bend over and pick them up. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I think that's the, like I told you, I'm kind of dialed out in the Attitude Era. That's the most memorable thing from that WrestleMania for me. Yeah, well, Kane gave him a crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he cut a great promo. Though, yeah, good heel promo. That's why I got in the Hall I'm of gonna Fame. I'm going to have to watch that. That's why I got in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, oh, excellent. October 27th, Paul McCartney releases Pretty Little Head. Sir, Sir Paul. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't want not from him, but maybe from, uh, nah, not from anybody. Uh, British, go- British government deregulates financial markets in uh, Big Bang. We go for Big Bang. Yeah, we go from the uh, Pretty Little Head to the Big Bang. The Big Bang. That's usually that's usually the progression, at least yeah. uh, in my deck. It Who knows nowadays? It enhances London's, London's status. As the financial capital, while increasing income inequality. Uh, October twenty eighth, the centennial of the Statue of Liberty dedication is celebrated in New York Harbor. Is that when they were doing all the work on her? Remember, they had like the yeah. cage around it and all. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully they were done by the time they did the celebration. But oh, okay, yeah, they probably probably they probably just had finished maybe. October 29th, Padres pitcher Lamar Hoyt is arrested at the U.S.-Mexico border for drugs. He's a drug mule. Mm. Didn't make it back across. Got busted. October 29th, British Prime right. Minister Margaret, fire, brother. Margaret Thatcher opens the final stretch of London's orbital motorway. 
the M25, the world's longest ring road at 117 miles. And wow. then finally, on October 30th, Discovery moves to OPF, where more than 200 modifications are made. What in the world are they talking about? I mean, no, with OPF? no context, no clue what this site's trying to get across. So I wanted to read that one. But that is the news for October Good one. 1986. Good one. Amazing Mets. That's the highlight for sure that month. The Mets and the famous World Series. All right, buddy. Nothing on Mr. Wonderful in the news. That's it. I'm done. All right. Let's talk October 1986. Let's talk October 4th, 1986, to be exact. And Jesse Ventura is back. Now, there was a time in between season one and two uh, where Vince had replaced Jesse with Bobby without telling Dick Ebersol. And there was a little bit of a ratings dip. And also Ebersol went to Vince and said, oh, no. Jesse is one of the stars of this show, and Jesse's back on this one, uh, basically because Ebersol insisted uh, he be back. That that's the first. Besides Hulk Hogan, when I think of Saturday Night's main event, think I of think Jesse. of Jesse. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I like I probably like Bobby better, but not in '86. He, he took time for Bobby to really to really you know get going as a, as a great commentator. It's a, it's kind of like I like them equally. Yep. But it's just two different two different animals. But it's officially the new season of Saturday Night's Main Event. We hear promos uh, from Jake the Snake Roberts, the Dream Team, uh, Kamala and the Wizard, Orndorff and Bobby, and then finally Hogan. Uh, Vince and Jesse. Vince and Jesse open the show, and then Gene talks to Piper in the locker room. Uh, his leg is in a cast. He has crutches thanks to an attack by Adrian Adonis. And they announce that he's not going to be able to have his match. Uh, the doctors have ordered uh, him out of that match. Now, an interesting thing I think about this show is we're really starting to, in some ways, build towards WrestleMania three here and there. Um, it's kind of the very beginning of the of the build to the show. Subtly, you know, small things here and there, but certainly uh, Piper and Adonis, a match that will be one of the you know three or four biggest on the card. The, the build to it is beginning to take shape on the show here. Um, Hogan is going to talk uh, to to Gene about his match. They give the whole backstory. You know, they show the, the highlights, and it's kind of amazing. It's the first match right out of the gate. Um, oh, yeah. So with that being said, we're going to skip it like we do uh, and come back to it. We always, you know, save the Hulk stuff for last. Uh, we'll, so com- we'll come back to that. Uh, Gene chats with Jake and Damien in the shower, and they uh, recap the issues between Snake and the Dragon, which this is a, kind of a, a feud held within. We've talked about how Saren's main event could be its own canon, sort of. Uh, and this is where uh, Jake had given a DDT to Steamboat and injured him on the concrete. And I love is, this feud. Yeah, All Ricky Steamboat's feuds are all great, the heels. Yeah, kind of the return match. Uh, and Steamboat, they put him over hard here. Uh, he gets the the clean pinfall win. He's got the Komodo Dragon with him. Paul and I were watching this uh, last so night. So cool, right? And she was just loving every minute of the dragon and the snake and all that. 
a really good match to close the feud. And I think in a lot of ways they're getting Steamboat ready for Savage here because uh, it so won't, that, won't be long until that feud then begins. That thing ended up getting lost in the, uh, I believe, the Boston Garden. I think it was never found. I hope the animal rights is not listening to this. I don't know what was happening. <laughs> Where the hell did the Komodo dragon go? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> just like, a, no more Komodo dragon. It's gone. Uh, eventually, they're like, yeah, I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Gene talks to Hogan. We'll come back to that. We see a clip of Slick and Sheik arriving in a stretch limo. Oh, I fucking love this. Yeah, where Jesse Everything about it. meets them and gives them props. Slick talks about wanting Sheik to be happy and says he is the next champion of the world. <laughs> And Jesse asks if they're okay with a sub for an opponent. And Slick says that Piper is a coward. And um, Jesse, Jesse, it looked like he was a ventriloquist and Slick was a puppet. Because you can see Jesse's lips moving to everything Slick is saying. So this had to be a, a Dick, Dick Ebersaw, you know, promo sure. that he had, had written up. So you can see, if you look closely, you can see Jesse's uh, lips moving to everything Sheik and Slick say. Yep. Um, so... Uh, Sheik and Slick are in the ring, and Pedro Morales is in there as a replacement. Uh, but Piper hobbles out on a crutch and tells Pedro to leave, which he does. Sheik attacks. Ooh, Sheik attacks before the bell, but Piper smacks him with the cut with the crutch and then punches away. Slick runs interference, and Sheik goes to work on the injured leg, goes for a suplex, uh, but Piper blocks it into a small package for the win. He grabs the crutch and threatens Sheik who takes off. Jesse thinks Piper may be faking it so he can carry around a crap. Yeah. How about crunch. those welts on the back of the sheik, Steve? Yeah. That, wow. You think that, that reminded me of Earthquake at uh, SummerSlam 90 uh, when he got hit with that bench from the boss man. It's like, do you think that that's it's got to be real? It's got to be hard way. How, to, yeah. how are you going to fake that? No, hard way for like sure. Lipstick on the crutch all over. I don't think that would work out. No, hard be way. all smudged. That's hard way. Poor sheiky baby. Yeah, poor sheiky baby. Gene chats with don't, Nobody remind him about that today. I'll hate Piper forever. <laughs> Gene talks to the Dream <laughs> Team and Johnny V about their big title match tonight. They're going to get a rematch, of course, against the Bulldogs. It was a nightmare for the Dream Team. Oh, it sure was. The Rosemont Horizon. They're going to get a rematch tonight. Chance to turn that nightmare into a uh, wet dream, I guess. Oh, here you go. G- Gene chats with Piper, who dumps soda imagine, on himself. Imagine a wet wet dream involving luscious Johnny V. Ooh, baby. Uh <laughs> He drops, uh, Piper's dumping soda on itself, says he does what he wants to do. He's proud to be insane. He mocks Adonis, calls him fat, and says he isn't going to sit there and take his shit. He dumped the soda over his head. That's <laughs> It wasn't water. He had like a cup of soda, Jack and Coke or something, dumps yeah. it over his head. That's what I said. Uh, oh, he died in We go to earlier when Gene talked to the Bulldogs, who said they were underestimated at WrestleMania. Says the, the Dream Team is in for the beating of their lives, and we get what I think is a pretty underrated um, Saturday Night's main event match. That was uh, awesome, man. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a WrestleMania 2 rematch. It's the last chance for the Dream Team as they're going to kind of fall apart at WrestleMania 3, of course. Uh, Vince says that this is two out of three falls, European rules, and that shocks Jesse for some reason. He's all fired up about that. Yeah, he is. Um, but, wow, a great match. Uh, really good, I thought. Um, you know, the Dream Team are cooked here, uh, but the Bulldogs, they, they seem to kind of go over strong here. So strong reign uh champions, which is still got a couple of months left. This is their greatest title defense. Yeah, great title TV defense. On TV. Yeah, national TV. 
Uh, they go over strong. Just a really good David Boy using a fisherman suplex. That's different. Yeah, Brutus. Just a really great match um, and a great night for the Bulldogs and kind of signaling the end of the Dream Team who are kind of circling the, circling the drain. Uh, but if you're a Bulldogs fan, this is a match to watch for sure. It's a really good one. And this is the, right the tail end of Dynamite before he gets hurt. Sure. In about yep. a month. Still 100% out there yep. though, at this point. Uh, Gene chats with the Wizard, Kim Chi, and Kamala. Which is just mostly rambling and nonsense. Not even, not even uh, the great um, Dick Ebersol could write a promo for these guys, I guess. <laughs> uh, Pafo and Kamala this is the last match. This kind of last slot, five to one or ten to one match that sort of Sarance main events famous for a kind of new guy, someone that's going to be getting a push against a uh, jobber to the stars, so to speak. That's it. Yep, and uh, it is what you would expect it to be. Uh, Kamala quickly ends the match with slams, and it's a squash. It's a squ- yeah. it's essentially a uh, a super sized superstars match at the end of Sarian's main event. Yeah, and this was taped. Uh, Kamala had only been back about a week. This is brand new for Kama- this run for Kamala. Yeah, but um, yeah, so that is. That show. Now we're gonna go back uh, and do the Hogan match. You ready, Hogan and Orndorff? Anything, well, on the, anything on the undercard you want to mention before we move on? I I, I love it. Everything about it is special. It has that. I watched this with my grandma. She's uh, my parents. It's funny to think. I guess they were in late thirties, early forties. They were still going out on Saturday nights to the bars. That's hard to believe. You know, so my grandmother watched me and my sisters on a lot of Saturday nights, and and we watched we watched the show. I, I remember. I remember Piper just being. Piper being a big deal. This him turning good because he was such a bad guy. And it's even coincided with the, um, you know, we'll get to the, the situation with Piper and Hogan in the match. Uh, Hogan and Piper, the rock and wrestling cartoon, had a new season uh, that just aired. It was, was airing in the fall of 86. But it was the same. It was probably all made at the same time. Nothing had changed. Piper was still a bad guy. Snooker was still in it. But there was like an episode where Piper and Hogan had to work together, you know, regular cartoon shit. Sure. And it like I think it aired that morning or like before or a week before. So it's like, oh, they they were they had to work together in the in the cartoon, and now look, you know, as a little kid. So uh, I'll always remember that. Now, it. so it's, most yeah. most of the notes we've read so far, are notes that I put together uh, for the card, but for the blow by blow of these Hogan matches, sometimes they go to Justin's notes. From the place to be nation, he was nice enough to pr- provide us uh, with these blow by blow notes. So I just want to mention the place to be podcast with Scott and Justin, and I'm on the newest one. If you want to check that out, I thought it was a excellent, pre- pretty good episode. We I talk, loved it. We talk about the um, November card in the Garden '91 in between, um, in between the Survivor Series and Tuesday in Texas. Uh, so check out the place to be nation. Flagship show, one of the best wrestling podcasts out there. And uh, thanks to Justin for these blow-by-blow notes. I figure since they already exist, there's no chance, for, no reason for me to rewrite them. And we got a great partnership and team uh, with those guys. So here is the match. Uh, a smart decision, and I would agree, for the Saturday Night's main event season to launch with a mega match. I think that's why they're first and not second. You know, it's the first episode of the second season. And it's a huge match right out of the gate. Uh, Orndorff and Heenan march right out to Real American. Uh, stealing Hulk's music there. 
and Hogan fouls, eyes locked in, filled with rage. Hogan starts hot, hammering away as Jesse says, this is going to be a street fight. Uh, Heenan distracts Hogan along, Orndorff to clothesline him to the floor. Orndorff fouls out and clubs away, but Hogan turns the tide on the floor and punches away before shoving Orndorff back in. Hogan keeps laying in the wood and battering Orndorff all around the ring. Heenan gets up on the apron again, but Hogan levels him. Huge pop there for that. Uh, that allows Orndorff to catch Hogan with a clothesline, a stiff one too. Orndorff fouled with hard elbow and knee drops as Jesse talks about Bobby outsmarting the champ. Orndorff is relentless in battering Hulk, hammering away, and then taking him over with a suplex for two. Hogan powers up and levels Orndorff with a knee lift and slams in a slam, but Heenan hooks the leg and hangs on tight. Orndorff charges, but Hulk ducks and flips him out to the floor. A gag of security come out and carry Heenan out as Jesse bitches about the treatment. Hogan mocks the brain and waves by as Orndorff is flustered. And they go to a break. After the break, we see Heenan trapped behind a door and uh, back in the ring. Orndorff was still gathering himself. Uh, Hogan chased him back in the ring, but Paul caught him with a knee to the head and went back to work with stiff strikes, really focusing on the head and neck. Uh, the challenger did his best to maintain control, but Hogan eventually powered up and came firing back with his right hands and an elbow to the skull. Hogan kept unloading and then set up a pile driver. But as he did, a quote-unquote, this is from Jesse, fat sweat hog from the audience, <laughs> hopped in the ring and clobbered Hogan for the DQ. Hogan smacked the fan back as Jesse shouted, I can't believe he hit a fat old woman. Uh, before <laughs> Vince confirmed it was Adrian Adonis. Adonis and Orndorff beat Hogan down until Piper hobbled to the ring on crutches and made the save to a big pop. Piper even took a swing at Hogan, and Hogan almost drilled him back, but then they came to their senses and ended in a peaceful way. Uh, a really fun match here. Lots of action that never slowed up. Orndorff was sharp in his offense, and Hulk was Hulk. What did you think? Bobby was great. I thought Jesse was great. I thought kind of even on a huge... They used the huge stage to advance... The idea that Piper is a good guy now, you know, uh, which is going to be huge for his send off at WrestleMania. I just thought it was really good. Well done by everyone. And it gives us a chance to have the second match. You know, we don't have a clean finish. Um, we got interference. We got people coming in and out of the ring. Uh, Heenan's got to be carted away. Adonis comes in. Piper's in. It's the perfect setup for a cage match return. Uh, really well done. Three stars, solid three stars uh, for Hogan and Orndorff here. Um, kind of giving it a little bit of a lower grade to leave them room to build on it in the second match, what they absolutely will. Um, really great. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. This is definitely enhancing the story, that kind of match. You know, watching it in hindsight. When I watched it as a kid, you know, I was absolutely going bananas, uh, especially with the Piper stuff. I think he's the MVP of this Saturday night's main event. You know, when coming back later with the Sheik and all the match was exciting, though, with Hogan falling on the. I hope that wasn't Mel Phillips, the timekeeper out there. He kept falling on top of. Looked like it, didn't uh, it? For, for, for Hogan's sake. You know, yeah, it sure did. And he usually was a timekeeper. I think it was him. Poor Hulk. But yeah, and Bob, Bobby getting carried out. I think that was a throwback to the old 
AWA. Maybe I used to see that in the magazines, like Bobby being carried out by the police and all all this kind of stuff. It was it was wild calling the Hey Barney, hey Flatfoot, let me out of here. <laughs> you know. And uh, you know, there's in my head back then, you know, Orndorf and I think a lot of people's heads, even people older than six years old, Orndorf could really win this title. This was a serious, serious thing. Hell yeah. Throw throw Piper in the mix. It's like, wow, everything's happening at once here. The the big the, the turn the attack on Piper was a week before on Superstars in Baltimore. So this is one week out, him coming out with the crutch and everything. Oh my God! The people are going insane. I remember my grandma because she hated Roddy Piper. Like now, like oh, you know, it's not starting so. I guess he's not so bad, you know, like crazy. And um, when he hit Adonis with that crutch, that was actually a, a send off for Adonis. Uh, he was out for three months. Um, nobody really knows, I guess, because he passed away so so quick. But what yeah, happened it was a Vince. There? I think, I think he, him and Vince, you know, I mean Vince. I don't know if it was they sent him to fat camp or. Um, Something to do with cocaine. Then someone said something to do with the dress code back then. But that might have been when he eventually left after WrestleMania three. But yeah, Adonis was out of this angle after this. Uh, Piper would feud with Orton in Morocco, and then Adonis ends up returning in around December. You know, to start uh, pushing towards Piper's retirement at WrestleMania. So yeah, this was a, a sh- uh, that shot there in the arm was uh, sending off Adonis for a little while. We'll just say the fat camp. <laughs> Yeah, but um, Jesse's like that must be dis- dislocated. You know, it really sold it. Yeah, it was a nice shot too. Piper, <laughs> Piper with that crutch uh, on this night, he was really uh, laying him into everybody. But uh, I guess you have to. And uh, yeah, this this it just this this Saturday night event really takes me. Some of them you watch, you're like, yeah, I kind of remember watching this. This one really takes me back back to the time, the feel, everything. Sitting there with fight and sleep, holding on to my LJN figures, and. Um, yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it a three and a half because I would go higher for the moments, but just because it was it's definitely leading to stuff with Piper and more stuff with Hogan and Orndorff. And I think the main reason why I did this was some of the uh, house show stuff I mentioned with Hogan and Piper teaming up. Yep. So and advancing, setting up, so set, and advancing everything, advancing all Piper kind of for sure, for sure. Yeah. Really well so, done. So uh, three and a half, man. I love this. Is this is my, like I said? This you know I just had gotten into wrestling. Late summer '86, so I'm brand new. You know what I mean. And you always go back to that stuff that grabs you. It's your favorite. So this time to WrestleMania three is is my fa- is my favorite chunk of time. Oh yeah, sure. oh yeah. I'm with you here, and that leads us to one of my all time favorite pieces of WWF television, and that's the Saturday Night's Main Event from January of '87. This one and the March of '87, kind of the two biggest pieces of the Saturday night's main events role in shaping the matches for WrestleMania three. Whenever I was away from this episode for a while, like, and I got a chance to watch, it was the first thing I watched, you know, like when 24 seven came out, this is the first thing I went to, you know, when the Mm. network, like just, it's just a, really a show. I love and remember comfort food and revere for sure. And we kick it off. The first show of the new year with the famous Serenite's main event promos. Uh, Orndorff and Heenan, Hogan, Hart and Adonis, Steele, uh, Harley Race, and the Junkyard Dog. Vince and Jesse open the show. They run down the card, and Jesse predicts there'll be a new champion tonight. And Vince says it's the first ever steel cage match on network TV. I fact-checked this and couldn't find a reason to believe otherwise. I couldn't. Yeah. Um... Couldn't 
find a, anything to disprove him, but you never know. I mean, you're going to go back into the – I don't think they even had him in the 50s. And Bruno, they had him in the garden in the 60s. Those were house shows. Well, let's just say in our time, network TV, from, you know, from May of 85, Saturday's May event. There sure. Were, so let's work from there. And uh, they're in Hartford. And uh, Jesse says that Bobby's taken out an insurance policy on the title. Of course, Hartford's known as the insurance capital of the world. Gene chats with Hogan and Orndorff. And Orndorff refuses to talk, so Bobby does all the talking. They get through the history of the feud and the belt insurance. Uh, Gene then talks to Hogan, who says the steel cage is the end of the road for Orndorff. And Gene puts over his record in cages. Uh, Hulk says that this is the last resort. Okay, we'll skip the match again. We're going to go ahead to uh, the next part, and then we'll finish out this show with the Hogan stuff. All right, Gene recaps the long, winding feud between Savage and George the Animal Steel and then talks to Savage and Liz. Gene says it's Steel as a surprise. Surprise! Surprise! Mm. Planned. And you do then, that very well. Yep. And then Savage cuts off Liz and says nobody cares uh, about her. Uh, Savage tells Liz to leave and then fr- threatens to slap Gene's face and push him into the wall. Friggin' Savage is on fire here. Oh, yeah. All of them. Uh, Gene talks to Steele about his surprise. Uh, but again, we don't get any info other than surprise. Um, it's another installment of their feud. They've had matches on Serenity's main event. They've had a match at WrestleMania 2. Uh, Savage comes to uh, the ring. They hold the record for the most Saturday Night's main event matches. Four. Yeah. Four matches against each other. Wow. Yeah. Four match plus a Mania match. Plus, that's five. Yeah, yep, so that's five. Five big matches. It's a long-running feud. Um, and I think I was watching a shoot with him where he said that this got over and it kind of cost Tito because it, instead of a lot of return matches with Tito, they did this instead. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to cut in, cut into your, you know, you're Go going ahead. over the matches here, yeah. but real quick, you know, I love Tito. Dude. They, they did all the house shows together, Tito. George and Savage were doing some house shows, but not too much. So Tito... You know, he got his his payoffs there. Awesome matches at the Garden, Tito and Savage for IC title, three of them. Insanely awesome. Go back and watch that, guys, if you can. But um, people like will have a narrative now. People are much more cynical today, different things like that. Oh, this is stupid. This is – no, 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 no. If NBC is going to request this match four times, more than any Hogan match, more than any Piper match, this was over. George the Animal Steel, as silly as it may seem now. There's a Beauty and the Beast was story. Cr- Beauty yeah. and the Beast. My Uncle Tito absolutely loved this angle. People were going in. in if you, you had to live it. You had to, I absolutely loved it. Model, you don't have to like it, but the motto will probably tell you. It, this People were into this. So some of these podcasts listen to it. They, they scoff at it. They're like, no, no, no. They wouldn't. It would not be on this show four times if it wasn't over like crazy. Now, so that's why I wanted to throw that in there. Early in the match, Steele calls to the back. Nobody shows up. Savage attacks him from behind. Um, and then finally, Steele's surprise emerges, and it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Awesome. In his first appearance since his throat injury, which has happened in between these shows. Like I said, I felt like they were getting him ready for Savage in October, and then on the anniversary of the JFK death is when that airs on um, superstars, the throat injury in November, and now he's back. Uh, 
Um, the music's playing. The crowd's going nuts. Uh, Savage, awesome. Savage just can't believe it. Savage thought he killed that guy, right? Thought he was gone forever, uh, but he's 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 back. Um, and Jesse wonders kind of how thrown off is Savage um, because Steel kidnapped her, right? And this is um, with the famous line: "At least she's in the arms." Of someone who cares for her. That's kidnapping and Steamboat's a part of it, McMahon. Yeah, 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 what yeah. a pop in my... This one, I was at my Uncle Tito's house. He only lived around the corner. My auntie. I don't know if Grandma was there or not, but when Steel picked her up, oh, I mean, it's, it's like we're in the arena, the, the excitement around that. And, and when Steamboat came out. Pandemonium. Yep, Steel chucks the rough across the ring with Savage grabbed the bell, snuck in the ring, and clubbed the animal in the back of the head for the win. Uh, Steamboat ran back out to protect Steel, but Savage bolted to the back. Uh, Steamer nurses Animal back to health by rubbing his chest and uh, sprinkling turnbuckle foam all over him. <laughs> you know what I always thought? They never said, like, later in the show, they say, oh, Elizabeth Steele, you know, return, right. let her go, he whatever. Returned her, yeah. I think they should have showed, you know, in, in a little vignette, little clip, Savage, you know, find her back there somewhere. And she said, oh, no, no, I'm fine. He let me go. He let me go. But her tongue's green when she's talking. That'd I thought that would have been that That'd would have be been great. neat. I thought, and never say anything about it again. You know, just let it go. At least, I think the, I think Ebersol would have went for that. At least she was in the arms of someone who cares for her. Yeah, yeah. amazing. All right, uh, another famous line here is Gene's in the back with Heenan uh, and Harley Race, and we see clips of his coronation. Uh, and Race says he's the king of wrestling, and um, you'll bow to him. He forces Gene to bow, uh, but Gene says JYD won't bow, but Heenan says he will. And then Gene talks to JYD, who says, this country never had no king. This country never had no queen. And the only one that. I'm bowing to is the Lord above. Right, baby? I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. All right, so it's JYD versus Race. And again, WrestleMania three, right? Yeah. Oh, now, now we're really in the yep. running. Absolutely. We had yeah. it in the last match with Steamboat and Savage. And now we have it here again with Heenan and Race and JYD. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a pretty standard uh, JYD match. And, like, I love this feud, but, you know, was disappointed with this match here a little bit. JYD wins uh, via DQ uh, in the match. It's like, a, you know, a half-star to one-star type it's of disappointment match. Disappointment with the WrestleMania match, and, too. And well, that's remember, what I was going to say. And then a very disappointing, short, abrupt ending so this is one of those where I like the build a lot more than I like the wrestling. We didn't know how the legendary status of Harley Race as kids. You know, we knew he's a tough wrestler. But I knew him from the magazines a little bit. But, I mean, JYD, this guy doesn't get the – people don't realize how – this guy was just as popular as Macho Man Randy Savage, as Ricky Steamboat, as Roddy Piper. He was pop – it was a well-known pop culture – Name Junkyard Dog. He kind of falls in that category of what I said about Orndorff before. He kind of disappeared out of the mix a little early, you know, and uh, he doesn't get the, uh, you know, response he deserves that, uh, from people today. But he was over like Rover, my man. And, yeah, these these matches, I don't know, he was start. People said he got a little lazy in the ring. You know, that might be one narrative that I might have to agree with, Melser with. Sure. Seems like that a little bit, right? Yeah. But I still love him. Uh, Gene's in the back with Adonis and Jimmy Hart, and they talk about the arm injury. Uh, Curtis, courtesy of Piper's crutch. And Adonis said he can take a licking and keep on ticking. 
and he's going to whip on Piper. Uh, Gene doesn't think it's prudent to allow him back in the ring, but Hart says Adrian is all heart, and he can't be kept away. Uh, Gene is with Piper, who says Adonis has humiliated him, but he learns from his mistakes and will always get back up. Piper is angry, and is it's eating him up inside. Uh, he isn't fighting for money. He's fighting for pride. Love it. Uh, Piper and Adonis, and again, WrestleMania three, right? And Adonis, had, like I said before, he had disappeared after our last main event, but three months had passed, and he's freshly back on TV here at this time and getting ready for the big WrestleMania showdown. Yep. Um, and so the match is really uh, a chance for them uh, to advance the story here. Um, and they get out on the outside and, uh, and they're fighting on the outside. And, and this is where he squirts Piper in the eyes with the cologne. And, uh, and then he rolls in the ring to win by count out. This is simply advancing the storyline here. I thought it was breath, breath spray. I always Bad thought it, I always thought it was perfume. I could be breath spray. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Jesse oh, okay. was saying oh, no, Jesse said, with breath. He's just yeah. putting it in. That's yeah. very good. Too quick for me, Jesse. You're too quick for me there, damn you. <laughs> uh but you know, just advancing the story here. Um and then we got one more quick match at the end. Is there anything else you want to mention on Piper Adonis? Is there just one thing I want to mention coming from this is you know big, we're leading into uh WrestleMania, but I think when Piper, in between this, is where Piper must have mentioned to Vince that he's leaving to go. Uh, I guess he was filming Hell Comes to Frogtown, and then he filmed They Live because They Live didn't come out to '88. And I guess Vince didn't like that. You know, he, he still held Piper high, but now he came on Saturday Night's main event. You know, we always say the matches on early were the important ones. He Piper came on after JYD here. It seems like he lost a lot of momentum from the October Saturday Night's main event. He was the MVP of the show. Now he's coming on at twenty to one in the morning with his angle. Even though he was still big, it seemed like you know Piper Adonis could have been on before Hogan and Orndorff at the, at the start, but it was really towards sure. the end. So you know, you know how Vince gets. But there was a lot so, to do, you know. Also, there was a lot to do. But you would think it would be on before JYD Agreed. and, and uh, Harley. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, last thing we got uh, Mulligan versus Funk. A quick filler here. Dub the battle for <laughs> Texas. Uh, JJF, not my cup of tea, really. Duh, Steve, when they have to do an inset box promo because they're running out of time with Mulligan's interview with Mean Gene. And Mulligan's guy, this is one of my favorite things ever. Mulligan's going on and on about a New Year's Eve party, how Aunt Laverne and Mean Gene left the party with Aunt Laverne. He's carrying on and on. And because it's an insert promo, Jesse just goes and he goes, do I have to listen to this? It's so <laughs> unexpected. I just I pop for it every single time. I don't know why. Well, it's basically again <laughs> a, a squash match, um, and it's Mulligan doing the squashing. Oh yeah. And we never really get whatever they had in mind for Mulligan. Never really materializes. Yeah, he was going to do a uh, outlaw Ron Bass came in right around this time, and they were going to do something there, the Texan feud. But uh, I think this is the time with. Um, uh, it might be starting. Wyndham's are getting in trouble for something with uh, money or laundering money or some 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 crazy. Mulligan did a little time. I think it was uh, right right around this time why he le- why he left so abruptly. All right, let's go back. It's the big match, one of my favorite matches of all time. 
Hogan and Orndorff, the big blow off to this intense long running feud. Perfect gimmick and setting. Network TV inside a cage, title on the line. Heenan and Orndorff again defiantly using Real American. Hogan then power walks to the ring to the usual wild atmosphere and reaction. Oh, yeah. And again, a thanks to Justin and Scott for these detailed notes of the match. Uh, Vince and Jesse doing a great job here, setting the stage for this one, laying out all the ramifications and hyping perfectly. Orndorff attacks at the bell, beating Hogan with the belt, and then stomping away. Orndorff makes a quick go at the door, but Hulk blocks him. The challenger keeps bringing the heat as the crowd rallies the champ as best they can. Orndorff almost escapes a second time, but Hogan saved it. Vince wants to know why Danny Davis is out here when he wasn't assigned to the match. There's two refs out there. Orndorff keeps laying in power strikes and trying to escape with one try almost working as he got over the top and started to drop down, but Hogan grabbed him by his hair, as Dave mentioned earlier. Uh, he choked, yeah. choked yeah. him over the rail and pulled him back in while slamming his face into the steel. Jessic, Jesse had a classic line there. Hogan would not be champion if Mr. Wonderful were bald. Hogan yeah. laid the wood, punching away and choking Orndorff with his bandana before nearly escaping over the top. Orndorff turned the tide and went back to work uh, with knees and elbows and kept trying to escape wherever he could. The tide kept ebbing and flowing with no, set, no slowing down at all. Uh, Hogan tried to go for the door, but Davis had it locked, pissing off Vince. Uh, the two kept battling as Jesse compared it to Ali versus Frazier, saying neither will be the same after the match. Heenan barks instructions as Orndorff kept leveling blows, trying to knock Hogan down long enough to get out of the cage. Both men ended up hitting the steel at the same time, and both were slow to get up to the cage walls. They both begin to climb and were able to escape but they hit the floor at the same time, leading to a big argument between everyone as each referee declared their man the winner. Uh, so it was Morella declaring Hogan the winner and Davis declaring Orndorff. Real Americans fired up, which gives no one a clue as to who won because they both that's came cool, down. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's really cool. came down to that. It's a nice touch. Davis comes over and shoves down Morella, and then Hogan shook him around until Orndorff attacked Hogan. From behind, knocking down Davis as well. Chaos is raining down here, and Jesse and Vince are debating what happened. Fink said the match was declared a tie, and it would be restarted as a result. So after a break, it restarted. Orndorff battered Hogan on the floor and then dragged him back inside the cage to get things rolling. Orndorff kept mauling Hall because Danny Davis was carted to the back. Jesse calls out Vince for being biased. Announcing as things carried on, Hogan eventually hulked up and battered the challenger around the cage, busting him open. We got some color on some color. national TV. Amazing. Hogan dropped Orndorff with a backbreaker and then dropped the leg. He started to escape, but Heenan came in and grabbed his leg, allowing Orndorff to recover and try to climb. Hogan shook off Heenan and stopped Orndorff and then shot Bobby hard into the cage before escaping to return to a huge pop. Hogan then returns and beats up Heenan some more, adding fuel to their never-ending feud. Oh, man. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. This gives me goosebumps every time I think of it. It's one of my favorite matches of all time. And I didn't say anything about this until now to mention it. So I have young parents. You know, my mom and dad were around 20 when I was born. And 
I would spend the weekends at my dad's. And oftentimes we would go to one of his friend's house that were having like a house party or whatever. And on this night, we were at his friend um, Shram's house who had this big room, like living room, um, which was kind of off to the side of like a, a huge, like it's down in his basement. It's got a huge basement area. And then there was like a playroom and in the playroom. There was a TV and I was in there with the TV. And when this match started, one of my dad's friends came over to see. And as it's going more and more and more, my dad's friends are crowded around the TV watching this with me. And I'm in my glory telling everybody, oh, this is what's going on here. Oh, dad's friend over there. Check this out. Check that. What an amazing just night in my life. Huge, huge debate during the thing. What happened there? You know, some of my dad's friends are saying that Hulk is losing it. He's lost the title here. I can't believe this. It's an amazing night for me. I think I said it before. David Shoemaker on the Sportscaster said wrestling exists in my past. When I think back to my past, this is the match that comes out. And for me, I'm going to do it, Dave, compared to Hogan matches. This is relative to Hogan matches. For me, this is five stars. One of my favorite matches of all time. An amazing night for me as a human and a wrestling fan. And I'll never forget having the attention of all my dad's 20-something friends, holding their beers and their koozies, being just as into the wrestling as I was. It gives me goosebumps to think about. I love it. love everything about this Saturday Night's main event and this match. Five-star for me. What say you, Dave? Awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that story. I, that's what I like the most about this podcast, is, you know, our childhood stories of how we felt. And I could picture that. I could pick those kind of basements in the 80s. You know, they have the TV room. Just as you're telling the story, I could picture the whole thing. So that was awesome. Uh, the match for me, I'm going four and three-quarter stars right there with you. I'm saving the – I did five for the title win over to Sheik and we'll save five for a couple other things. But this is right, right there, neck and neck. I remember, like, the, they're doing all the stuff with the Danny Davis shit on TV, you know, being the heel referee and all. But it didn't mix in with Hogan. It didn't – it didn't happen. The tag title match with the Bulldogs hearts didn't happen yet. So it didn't really, it wasn't really getting involved with too much big stuff, the Danny Davis shit. I remember either my Uncle Tito or my dad saying, hey, what would you do if you're getting ready to watch a Hulk match at the Garden or something and Danny Davis is the ref? Oh, no, that'll never happen. <laughs> I think I actually, then, we, you know, you go down the ringside for this and there's Danny Davis at the cage. I think I actually might have said, what the fuck, at yeah. six years old. Because, oh, man, forget it. I was at my uncle's running up those steps. And I remember the stairwell he had when I, was, when I would get upset or scared. And I, th- I thought this was it. But and then dropping at the same time, so unique. I don't know how they pulled it off to land at, at, at the same time and everything. But um, I want to get into more than uh, you described everything great about the match. I agree with that 100%. But I kind of want to get into here how they were using this uh, tie, tiebreaker, as possibly going into WrestleMania, possibly vacating the title or even giving it to Orndorff. Because there's two promos after this, one with Orndorff, one with Hulk. And they said, Paul, don't worry. Behina was saying, don't worry about the hold ending. On, hold you know, on. That- I, I got these here. Let me let me read the, the – I'll read okay. what you mean here, okay? I'm so sorry had, if I jumped ahead. No, that's okay. We head okay. backstage where Orndorff is slipping out, and Heenan calmly says he will fix this and prove to Jack Tunney that Heenan – or that Orndorff is champion. He vows that in less than one month, Orndorff will have the gold. Gene comes in, uh, and Orndorff says he took the fight to Hogan, and the camera doesn't lie. Heenan claims everyone 
calms everyone down and says he's bringing the footage to Tunney. And then later on in the night, he's got Hogan. Gene has Hogan, who celebrates his win. But Gene tells Hulk of Bobby's plan to go talk to Tunney. How about the way Hulk looks at him right? during that? That was cool, cool, right? Hogan said he beat him <laughs> twice, and Orndorff has never beaten him. Gene says Bobby can't be trusted, and who knows what will happen in Jack Tunney's office. Now, this was kind of forgotten about. Jesse mentions it once on the January 24th Superstars, about two weeks after this. Oh, Orndorff is three hundredths of a second better during the Orndorff squash. I'm sure Gorilla and Bobby mentioned that at the desk on primetime, but that's about it. Now, this aired on January 3rd, taped, forget about being taped December 14th. It aired January 3rd, so they could have taken anything out that they wanted it. January 5th was the Meadowlands show, uh, Superstars taping, where Andre and Hulk get the trophies, and, you know, it starts getting in the air that Andre might be turning. You know, three years to be a yeah. champion, that's a long time, all that. So I think that night, this is all my own opinion, but I know I you're going. Pretty good opinion. I know where you're going. I think and I agree. that yeah. night, yeah. Andre gave Vince his word: "I'm good, boss. I'm good to go." You know, and and that's it. But this aired before that because they actually had. I hope the listeners could follow. Leading up to this, Andre was supposed to wrestle as a face when he returned. He returned in December. On TV, they announced they went to England, and this guy, Gary Davey, reported from England, Andre the Giant, suspension is lifted, he's returning. And it was announced Andre would fight Savage at a lot of the house shows and team with Hogan against um, Honky and Savage. Those matches, a couple of weeks into the event centers, talking about it, got reversed to Steamboat returning. So something might have went on there with Andre where it didn't look good. He can't do these matches. You know, he's going to work as a face before Turner on Hogan. Maybe during those matches, he would show a little sign. Uh, you know, show a little signs here and there, I'm sure, of turning. But then that day, I guess the fifth, he showed up to the tapings in the Meadowlands and looked like he gave his word. Now, a lot of people say, you know, Orndorff was in the back pocket up until the day of WrestleMania if Andre couldn't work. Well, I mean, that could happen to any, anybody. God forbid anybody could get in a car accident the day of a show or the day before, you know, and things, God forbid, knock on wood, things could happen to people. I think this was the predecessor I think, of before. I think you're making it a little bit more complicated than you need to. I think it's a little it, complicated. I think it's as simple as this. If Andre couldn't go, this is what the main event was going to yes. be. Yes. So this will serve as the launching point to that feud. And it's there if they need it. But if they don't, it's as simple as Hogan won. Right, they don't need to take it any farther. No, but if but they, I think they were, they were they ready want to, to, they were ready. If they needed yeah. to, it was there, and they could take it into Tunney's office, and Tunney could say whatever he wanted to say to jumpstart that angle, either hold the belt up or whatever you need to do to sell Mania Three. But that's, now, I think that's all it was. As simple as this was in their back pocket, and it was there if they were going to need it. They had it set up, yeah. they had it ready to go, and in the end, they didn't need it. So it didn't go anywhere beyond this. Yeah, I was just giving a timeline of how I think it, it all unfolded. However, could you imagine if there's things filmed already that we've never seen that they actually maybe filmed in the back or at yeah, the that'd be awesome. studios of I, Heenan to talking it. to Jack Tunney? You never know, yeah, right? I'd love to Wild. see it if it's out there. Yeah. Very cool. Great night of wrestling. You know, great. Man, just a great, great couple of shows. Really enjoyed that. All right. This is the peak, WWF peak of the gold. We call it the golden era. This is it it's, right here. It's going to be, it's, it's the start of what's going to be a great couple of months uh, leading up to uh, March 29th. All right. 
We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We got some plugs we got to give. We got some emails we got to read. And then we're going to tell you what we're going to do for WrestleMania season uh, because it's here. So what are we going to do? Two shows uh, between us and WrestleMania. What will they be? Uh, We'll be right back. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. It's the last segment of episode 8 of the 24-inch podcast. Steve Bennett and Dave Rollins with you here. You know, when we started this, just the idea of it, I think we didn't think we'd start until 2021. So I don't think we thought by March of it we'd have eight episodes in, but we're doing great. We're loving to do it. Happy to join you, and we want to interact with you. So reach out to us on Twitter, the Jessies out there who disagree with our fawning over Hulk Hogan tonight. The Orndorff defenders. If you're out there, you think Orndorff fell first. Whatever it is. Nothing wrong with that. Email us. The number two, the number four, the word inch, and the word podcast on Twitter at 24inchpodcast there. And the email is exactly the same, 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out the Sportscasters podcast. It's on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. The most recent episode features a one-hour interview with Joe Buck. Even Dave knows who Joe Buck is. Sure do. And he was on for an hour with me, One of the, I think, one of the best interviews he's ever done on a podcast, and I know I'm biased. That's a nice, that's a nice grab. But a really nice interview. His fifth time on the Sportscasters. Check that one out. And um, don't forget to check out... Uh, Greetings from Allentown. Our friend Peter Winson at GF Allentown Pod. Uh, he does two episodes a week, the flagship show there, and also Greetings from Allentown Live with Keithy. Check both of those out. Also want to give a shout-out to the Place to Be Nation podcast, uh, the wrestling feed, the flagship show. I'm on the latest episode of that. Uh, the Garden Show from November of 91, Flair versus Hogan. I got to say, I, I was going to listen to when that, that dropped. You know, I knew you were going to be on. We were talking before. I said, oh, let me listen to 10, 15 minutes, and I'll get, get to my TV, get to my late at night. I couldn't turn a damn thing off. It was a great – you guys did a great job. You guys did a tremendous. Can't say more. Please, if you like this podcast, go listen to that one. And thanks to Justin for the notes on those Hogan matches. Saves me a little bit of time and just writing down the blow-by-blow of, uh, of those. Also, on the Place to Be Nation pop feed – uh, there's a show on there called Making Mount Rushmore. Making Mount Rushmore, as I got marbles in my mouth all of a sudden. I was on that podcast as well this week. Uh, we did the Mount Rushmore of play-by-play and color commentators for sports, and I was on that one with uh, Demato, who we kind of picked this topic for Demato. 
No, we didn't mention that. Shout out to, his- to J.A. D'Amato's birthday celebration. Um, we picked this one for him, and I was able to do a podcast with him and uh, Roger Morissette, the cowboy, and Scott Criscolo uh, with Andy Atherton as the moderator. Kind of a fun show to check out uh, there. So, 24-inch podcast, the sportscasters, greeting from Allentown, greetings from Allentown Live, place to be nation, making Mount Rushmore, lots of business in the podcast world to check out. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, at sports underscore casters or at two four inch podcast. I give all the links and everywhere you need to go right on there. So easy to find and access uh, through our Twitter accounts. If you're not on Twitter, you can follow Dave or I on Instagram. Uh, Steve Bennett, Dave Rollins on Instagram. You can find us there. I think I'm actually at sportscasters on Instagram as well. You can find me there. I'll be glad to accept any friendships. I think I don't think it's private or anything. Uh, Facebook as well. I'm glad to accept uh, friendships on there from anyone who listens. And we often post links in our stories there as well. Sooner or later, we're going to have an Instagram for the 24-inch podcast. We will. Very soon. Now, usually we do emails that announce what we're going to do. But since the announcement's a little bit more detailed, we'll do that first. Um, So the next two episodes of the podcast, they'll be out the week uh, Dave and I figured this out. They'll be out the week of the 22nd of March and then the week of the 5th of April. Uh, so we put out a podcast every other week. Uh, they've been sort of on the later end of the week, the last few, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't be. But any time between, you know, the 22nd and the 26th is fair game for us for the next episode. It's WrestleMania season. We wanted to do two WrestleManias. Now, so far, we've done one. Right, we've done WrestleMania two, um, and we got two more to pick out. We ruled out three and five. We're not ready for that. Um, oh no, no, we're not ready for that yet. And uh, both of those are going to need to be longer projects, I think, too. We do got a biggie coming up here. One of one of these two. But uh, go ahead, Dave. What you can announce uh, either one you'd like. Give me one. You, yeah. Okay, you can do the first one. I'll do the second one. Okay, so the first one we're going to do is WrestleMania six, April first, nineteen ninety. And no, it's, it's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 8. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sitting uh, sit Hulk's. You're right. We thought about 6. Thought about it. Thought about it, but we're holding off on that Putting one, Putting it in the back pocket. Putting it in the back pocket. You're right. Dave, save me there. We're going to do 8. That's what I'm here for. That's right. WrestleMania 8, um, which was in the, uh, the Hoosier Dome, which no longer exists in Indianapolis. Traffic jam so big that Gorilla had to uh, mention it. Uh, because the crowd was, just didn't look right in the beginning. Those dumb Hoosiers forgot to put their set back their clock. He said, "Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's a double main event. I guess the first time they tried that at WrestleMania uh, with Flair and Savage for the title, and Hogan and Sid in the other half of the main event. And we'll debate. Obviously, is a big part of that show whether or not we think it was a mistake to not do." Hogan and Flair. And maybe a, maybe a good primer for that episode is the episode that I just did on Place to Be Nation where we yes. kind of breached that subject as well. So maybe it's a good primer to get you ready. But WrestleMania 8 will be our next uh, episode, um, which is good. It's, a I think, a good uh, – we haven't done much in that year yet, if anything. Um, and uh, I'm excited about that one, but I'm even, I think, more excited about our second WrestleMania uh, that we're going to do. And Dave, why don't you announce that one? 
Yeah, well, this one, we definitely haven't done anything in this year. Episode and, 10 uh, it'll be, too, by the way. Episode 10, Big 1-0, the Big X. Ten episodes in the making. We got to do something big. Now, in my opinion, this is right up there with WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 6, the big ones for the Hulkster. This one, from Toronto, the Sky Dome 2002 Icon versus Icon Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. March 17th, 2002. This is a whole new world for us. We are adults. We have an adult life, so to say, at this time. And um, it's going to be a different kind of show for our 10th episode anniversary, my brother. What do you think? I have a chart in my notebook, and it has the years written across the top. Then the months down the side, and then I put an X if we've done something in there. And we were getting a little too bunched up in the 84-ish. That Mr. T, Cindy Lauper, uh, seems like a lot of that. Yeah, so we knew we wanted to take a jump. It was just a question of how big of a jump. And we said, you know what? Let's do something special for the 10th show. I think we're ready for it. It's a big one. I'm excited to do it. Now, famously... I mentioned on here that I was at WrestleMania 6, which is maybe why I was in, in my brain when I was announcing WrestleMania 8, but I was not at WrestleMania 18, and there's a great story behind it, which I've told before on podcasts, but not ours. So it might get, a little X, might get a little X-rated. I'll so tell, might put a, a disclaimer before our 10th anniversary show. I'll tell that story on that one. And uh, look at a, a legendary, a legendary match and a legendary moment in the history of wrestling. And it's one of those you got to do right. And it's kind of what I said when we started this. Like, I don't know that we thought we'd be to this point we are when we started this, but we are here. So I have the confidence that we can do it right. So we're going to do it. So I'm looking forward to it. Big time. All right. With that said, we got one more thing to do today. And that's we got some emails. Uh, I'll read the first one. Uh, And this came in on our Gmail. uh, At 24inchpodcasts at gmail.com. It's from JB. It says, hey, Stephen Dave, big fan of the show, and I appreciate your analysis of Hogan's various career points, putting the feuds and the foes under a figurative microscope. I look forward to each new episode. Thank you, JB, for that. I saw Thank your you. call on Twitter for questions about 1986 Hogan Orndorff. My big curiosity about the 86 Orndorff feud has always been, would Hogan versus Orndorff have been a better main event for WrestleMania 2? I realize you already analyzed the Hogan Monday feud in episode one, but it's hard to revel in the greatness of the Hogan Orndorff feud without lamenting the fact that we never got a main event singles blow off on pay-per-view. I personally always liked Bundy, both as a heel and as a main eventer for WrestleMania 2, so I'm not sure if I would argue that WrestleMania 2 would have been better with Hogan Orndorff main event, but at least it would have put Orndorff in a more prominent spot on the card. As it stands, it always struck me as a big fall for Orndorff to have gone from the main event of one to the opening match of two. Finally, it's fun to speculate how history might have been different if Hogan versus Orndorff had been the WrestleMania 2 main event. For example, might they have pushed the Hogan Monday feud back a year, resulting in Hogan Monday main eventing three? And might that have resulted in Hogan versus Andre not happening for the first time as a Mania main event until four? Anyway, lots of good stuff to unpack with 86 in the Orndorff years. Perhaps some of this will be fun for you to answer or discuss. If not, no worries. Thanks again for the solid podcast and content. 
that you do best, JB. All right, first of all, thanks, JB. And second of all, I want to say that we specifically didn't get too much into the turn here today. You know, and I think when we do the big event, we'll talk a lot more about the actual heel turn. And that could be a, that could be a show in itself because right. all the week it was six weeks leading up to it. And that's why I sort of specifically left it out because we got enough with Orndorff for that to be another show. And I think that using the turn and the main and the big event kind of makes sense. So we'll do that. At yeah, we, we could even throw in some house show stuff with that on that show, too. Of course. But as to the question, um, well, they would have really had to re- reorganize their their shit in general. Right. If they wanted this to be the main event, too, they would have had to sort of speed things up a little bit because the turn itself doesn't happen until after WrestleMania, two. This is all at the back end of 86 not the front end so they'd have to kind of reorganize and like you said it would kind of create a domino effect um that who knows what the impact would be you know if you twitch if you switch two to orndorf what does that mean for bundy if you move bundy in what does that mean for andre look at the way it ended up working out was for the best right because i just couldn't imagine things any different than what they were for WrestleMania 3. Um, so I'm glad that they didn't do anything that maybe could have risked that because it's just so great and so well done. Now, could Orndorff versus Bundy been a better main event? Maybe because we already seen that they did a better cage match, right? Like, let's Hogan. say, yeah, let's so say, yeah, let's say Orndorff versus Hogan cage match that we just watched was the cage match main event at WrestleMania 2. And they ended WrestleMania 2 with that kind of chaos and. Oh man, that would be that'd be amazing, right? But um, yeah. uh, I'm fine with how it ended up. You know, I like the bunny match. Um, Saturday night's main event's big enough for me in this era. There were so few pay per views that to me a blow off on Saturday night's main event. The way we got it is just as good as a blow off on pay per view. So I'm okay with the way it uh, played out in the end. Okay, all right, uh, JB. Awesome question, man. I'm not. I'm not going to get into the domino effect of the whole thing because that could just. We could get into that with any any question. So I'm not going to put that aspect of it into my answer. But I never thought of that, and that's saying a lot. If I never thought of something uh, in my time period here, uh, Orndorff turned face right after WrestleMania one. He was a hot face, even though I don't like him as a good guy. He was over with his feud with Piper and with Bobby Heaton, have that big uh, bounty on his head with all the wrestlers uh, trying to cash in on that bounty. Uh, it was awesome. But by the time we started getting ready for WrestleMania 2, Orndorff as a face kind of dwindled a little bit. So if you're saying instead of Bundy and Phoenix on that Saturday Night's Main Event, maybe Hulk and Orndorff are a team and Orndorff turns on them there on that Saturday Night's Main Event, sets up WrestleMania 2. Not bad. I think we're rocking and rolling, yeah. man. Sorry, I love King Kong Bundy, but not doing a whole domino effect there, I think that would have worked. And I thought, think that's awesome that you, that you thought of that. A little... Quick with the good guy, the bad guy. Yeah, it's a little quicker. We did it six months later in the summer. But um, I'm going to have to say that th- that would have worked. And then instead of saying Bundy WrestleMania, he could start feuding with Bundy in the summer and feud with Bundy fall setting up before Andre. Sure. I think just flip the two feuds, that would have worked out. I think that might be my favorite question we've had so far here on the 24 podcast, JB. Thanks for uh, listening. All right. What else you got? 
Okay, I got a podcast from lifelong best friend of mine, Anthony Pagano. Thank you for hearing from you. This man uh, loves me enough to make him me the godfather of his son, the great Robert. And let's see what Anthony's thinking here. Uh, he can't really think of a question, but more of a statement. All right, let me. I'll, I'll summarize some of this. Uh, the holding up the arm and clotheslining. It seems like any time a wrestler turns bad and turns on another, they do it that way. What do you think about that? <laughs> True. Uh, True. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, yeah. some, some other ones that come come to mind are Crush and Macho Man in '93. He held up the, his arm in the in the, the aisle lockers. and clotheslined him. Uh, well, Rockers, it was a super kick, but but he was holding up his arm. Held the arm. Yep. Yeah, yep. holding up his arm. Anytime I'm screwing around with my friends in the backyard, in a bar, anywhere, I hold up someone's arm and then jab them, you know, jab them, whatever. So yeah, I, I like that you noticed that. That's really good, Ant. He has uh, some uh, one more here, um, basically with the cage match. How did Hogan and Orndorff? How did they, you know, choreograph to drop at the exact same time? That's a really good question. Um, they nailed it, though. They nailed it. They must have just been looking at each other. Maybe the agents were down there. I didn't notice if I saw any of those types, Rene Goulet or any of them. I didn't notice any of them down there. Speaks to, say, to their, okay, now, now, like, speaks to their chemistry, for sure. Yeah. Do yeah. you think maybe NBC did some editing uh, to make it even look better? Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't mean, know. They had, they had everything going for them, right? They had the power yeah. of NBC. You know, if that was now... With wrestling now, they would have messed that up in a look what AEW with their stupid explosion. Everything gets messed up. That would have been messed up in yep. a second. And the so, fans would have been, you know, breaking analytics yeah. out down to the millisecond and shitting on it. So, but this was this was perfect. Did they, they did fans amazing? The marks could go back and look at this. These guys dropped at the same time. Great question, Ant, and I uh, love you. Okay, and uh, let me get another one here. I think we got one on our Twitter. Uh, before we go to Twitter. We do have Let's Twitter. I can go, get the Twitter yeah. up. I'll get the Twitter up while you do you whatever. You get Twitter up? Yep. All right. I'm going to go to Queens, New York from Jamie from Flushing. I noticed that one of Mr. Wonderful's bicep muscles is larger than the other. Did he injure it during his feud with Hulk or was it injured prior to the feud and didn't and he didn't want to miss the opportunity to feud with Hogan? Yep. Jamie, you kind of answered your own question <laughs> yep. there, my dear. You got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Orndorf, he said um, it was a nagging injury. And atrophy, but it really got right? atrophy, yeah. yeah, but it really started to affect him during a feud with Hogan. He didn't want to stop because, like we said, this was the money feud yep. of the eighties. That was his friend. career payday. He wasn't walking away at that moment. Yeah, somewhere to Austin, yeah. right? Somewhere to Austin, where he was just so hot he couldn't very similar couldn't couldn't leave and at I, that moment. I wanted to mention to Steve, I forgot that I think it's noticeable. I don't know if it's just in my head, but I want Steve's opinion. I think his arm and his deterioration is noticeable from the first Saturday's main event we watched today to three months later. Absolutely. In a cage match. You yep. can tell he looks a lot smaller next to Hulk. Yep. And so we might have to look at, look at his arm a little better there. But I actually also asked Mr. Wonderful in person once at some of the conventions I went to why he missed WrestleMania 3. Now we know the real answer. But, you know, these guys aren't maniacs like us. They're just doing their job. So they don't, they don't remember anything. They're not psychopathic wrestling people like we are. But he said it was because of the arm injury, which it probably was part partial to besides being the, in the back pocket in case Andre couldn't work. Good question. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he got a payday for WrestleMania three. Oh yeah. All the, uh, I think Kamala said he was there. Yep. Uh, I think the rockers, even they, they, when they got, they did that show in Buffalo and got fired in June. Marty, I don't know. He claims that they were actually at WrestleMania three on standby. So he got paid days. 
All right, on Twitter, H-N-I-C-J-R-A, or at ChampsPapa1015. Um, uh, really been with us since the beginning. Good guy here, big Dodgers. Thank you very much. Big Dodgers fan. Um, he's a husband, a father, and son. Merce at night. Sports, All three. Sports not by day. Contributor at DodgersWay.com. Check that out. Or the StopPageTime.com. Check that out. He's in Echo Park, Los Angeles. So good job by you. And he says, should they have switched the title to Orndorff and had Hogan chase the title? I'm going to answer this by saying, three years to be a champion is a long time. No. Nope. Couldn't take the title off Hogan here. Hogan is the champ. And it made WrestleMania three and the feud so much greater because he had been the champ for as long as he did. So any impulse they would have had to take it off of him paid off by not doing it uh, when they got to Andre in WrestleMania three. So I'm going to say no to that one. What say you, Dave? My answer is no slash kind of yes. It's no is the way everything worked out. The way it really worked out is no. But if Andre couldn't work and they knew that. At that point, it might have been a good idea maybe to somehow have Hogan win it back from Orndorff at WrestleMania 3 to make WrestleMania 3 WrestleMania 3. Right. To if, give Instead of just having another, they might have needed a little, or, or, or vacated one or the other, that little more oomph in there. Agreed. Orndorff, if Andre yeah. didn't work and they went to Plan B Orndorff, I think we saw what the Plan B was going to be tonight and that they were going to take that away. That went away and take the belt, either give it, to Orndorff or vacate it to set up the big match at WrestleMania And that's three. saying something. For, they couldn't do that with just any heel. Maybe no. maybe Macho Man Randy Savage and Orndorff are the only two. Yep. Certain type of guys uh, could, could only you couldn't just do you know just do that with uh, I don't know whoever a random random heel of the month. You know you can't take Hulk's belt off him. But that, so that's saying how important and believable the character of Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff was is. All right. Do we got anything else? believe that's it my friend all right with all that said then dave it's time we will be back in two weeks with wrestlemania 8 but in the meantime i'm going to need you to say your prayers take your vitamins and tell your friends about the 24 inch podcast brother